Good evening, everybody. Uh, we are returning from executive session, and so we are uh, about to begin. We were meeting for the purposes of discussing strategy with respect to collective bargaining units A and E, as an open meeting might have had a detrimental effect on the bargaining position of the public body. We'll have a nice update on that tonight. Uh, so let's get it started. Uh, first on our agenda is our student advisor report, and we have Ms. Disha, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. You tell me what it is when you get down here. Nakak, don't know, I'm gonna find out. Um, who's gonna share a report with us about loose events. Welcome. Hi, my name is Disha Nayak. Disha Nayak, welcome. <laughs> and I'm currently in my junior year at Canton High School and I had the pleasure of talking to the principal of the loose and I will be sharing some updates on the school. Um, this past week was Shine Week at the Loose, and Shine stands for the Loose's core values of safety, helping others, including all, never giving up, and exceeding excellence. During this program, students earned Shine tickets when they, when they exhibited any of these core values. The school as a whole has earned over 20,000 tickets and is celebrating the success of their students. The Loose has also made it a priority to celebrate its culture and diversity through multiple activities including read-alouds, class research projects, and pre presentations from parent volunteers. This year, the Loose also launched its first social-emotional learning, or SEL, mini-series for all students in grades K through 5, which consisted of conversations with intent to learn. Some of the topics they discussed included bullying, stress management, and growth mindsets. They are hoping to have a second, more interactive version of these SEL mini-series in the spring. And in the classroom, students have been working really hard and have seen a growth in their math skills on the STAR assessment. And outside of the classroom, the fourth and fifth graders performed at the Loose Musical, The Claw, which was a great success this past weekend. Students in the four fourth grade also enjoyed Potato Hill Poetry, featuring a local poet teaching the students. And that's all the updates I have. Thank you. Okay, well thank you very much. Did any of that make you miss being in elementary school? Yeah, actually it did. <laughs> <laughs> what was one aspect of your tour that you wish you could bring to the, the experiences you have today? Um, I actually wasn't able to tour, but I did get to like, have a Zoom meeting with the principal and um, I just really loved hearing about how the kids were able to put on like their musical because I know I did that in fifth grade and it was really fun. Oh, it's a super highlight, <laughs> wonderful. Is there any other questions or comments from the committee? All right, thank you very much thank for that you. terrific thank report. You. Okay, next item on our agenda is D, our superintendent's report. Thank you very much. So first, as uh, we're a few days away from heading into February vacation, uh, so I wish everyone a restful and uh, re-energizing vacation. This one always seems to come at the, the right time. <laughs> um, and we've had a quite a stretch. There's been no snow and no snow days. So. All right, let me get to the report here. Uh, on February 8th, a really special day. Um, it's the, the 100th day, uh, and at our early ages, uh, kindergarten one, two especially, uh, it's celebrated often by students getting dressed up. Um, Truth be told, um, I know in my household it, it was really, really, really important. And I walked into Hanson and I totally forgotten about that it was the 100th day. <clears throat> and I watched all these cast of characters run by and <laughs> they all look like, hey, they had great hair. <laughs> and, um, 
big smiles on their faces and mustaches and various other things. So they were so proud to wave hi and everything. I'm like, that's right, it's the 100th day. Um, so we collected a number of pictures from the schools. They had so much fun. It's like at the right middle time of the year to kind of put a big smile on everyone's face and have some fun. So some of our staff really got into it as well. Um, so congratulations, everyone, for the 100th day. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, also want to highlight a, a CPAC event um, and had the opportunity during our CAP leadership uh, and parent leadership group to learn a little bit about this. Uh, Lauren Cipriano had the opportunity to talk to fellow CAP members about a community resource fair on Wednesday, March 8th from 6 to 8 at Canton High School here in the cafeteria. The event will showcase local and regional services available to children with needs, um, with needs and their families. <clears throat> Get a chance to speak directly with representatives from various state agencies, recreational opportunities and support programs available to all that want to come. The event's free for families will include a raffle for all those who attend and all are welcome. Uh, you can certainly contact the email there, the CPAC uh, ss at gmail.com we're trying to uh, reinvigorate CPAC it's a really really important group um, this is a wonderful community event that can provide some formal and informal conversation with great resources uh, so we want to support that district-wide um, our director of student services Megan Byrne has been helping uh, in promoting as well and planning uh, so we want more members uh, but we also hope that everyone knows this and has an awareness in, in this community event is uh, a great way to start that. <clears throat> Next one here is a, a capped event, um, which they couldn't wait to tell me about, where they had uh, Officer Zeff and Officer Duncan, Duncan being the, the dog with the Canton PD, and that was a visit at JFK. So that was some real excitement. Some kids told me about it. It was really fun. Um, and again, we appreciate our relationship with the Canton Police. It comes in all different ways, and sometimes it's with some really, really fun events, and that was the case here. Uh, we just heard a little bit about the CLAW, and the CLAW was the loose presentation this year. So they complete our elementary uh, musical plays, and kids had so much fun. We congratulate co-directors Chris Untersee and Sarah Jonkis on all their hard work. Appreciate all the help of the parent guardian volunteers and the loose cap, and a big shout out to the 34 students that performed cast and crew um, just a wonderful presentation, a lot of fun across the board. So congrats to all the elementary schools. Um, it was fantastic, and uh, I think if you need a review, I think Kevin Russell might have served as the, the custodial detail for each and every one, and if you want his, <laughs> his take on things, um, uh, he enjoyed all of them. Acknowledgement, so School Bus Driver Appreciation Day, this lands within uh, vacation week, so if you're watching at home, Certainly, uh, if you see the bus driver and you're at the bus stop, give them a thank you, uh, drop them a card, something like that, because you know they, they start the day and end the day with our kids, and um, you know sometimes they're unsung heroes, and there's a relationship there, and they really get to know families well. Uh, so we appreciate them as, as being a part of our school community. Uh, and then we have President's Day coming up on vacation day, and that's our annual opportunity to celebrate uh, not just our first president, but all the, the presidents and the leadership within that seat. Mm -hmm. Indicators of excellence. Uh, this, is, this is an announcement that has trickled out there a little bit, but again, part of that meeting that happened this week, the Cape Spelling Bee is coming back. Um, it might be in a smaller modified version with some elementary teams and a few GMS <coughs> teams, uh, but 
It's something that has been put on pause during COVID, and it's a, a great fundraiser for CAPE, which is a wonderful supportive organization that provides grants uh, for our teachers, for enhancements. And it really, the, the CAPE Spelling Bee is just a lot of fun for kids. It's competitive, it's lots of laughs, um, and there's a lot of pride when, when there's a win there. So, from what I've heard, is we have some elementary teams, representative across the board, and I hear that we have an eighth grade team, a couple of eighth grade teams. Now, this is my open pitch. We need sixth and seventh grade to step up, be ready to do it, and compete. So, that's that pitch there. Uh, Janice Troy is the president, and we're thankful for her work and her team in putting this together. Uh, and that's coming up on March 24th, 6 to 8, in CHS Auditorium. We have some uh, musical uh, performing arts recognitions here. Joe Clark and Atlas Curran Barker. Both scored high enough to be accepted in the SEM SBA Festival, uh, which I believe is a first, according to Ms. Eckersley, on March 17th and 18th at Middleborough High School. Yeah, it's a first uh, that they've been involved in this festival, and I know these two students will represent us incredibly well. Uh, the a number of opportunities when musicians come together and have these festivals are pretty special. A number of years back, we hosted the senior districts here. One of my favorite events all time because it was just wherever you went into a room, you saw our folks performing at their very highest level and just really enjoying each other's company. So congratulations to our students who are representing us. And then just a, an incredible indicator of excellence, our Coach Schumann, uh, who was our boys hockey coach, longtime boys hockey coach, achieved 300 wins. Uh, so we salute him and we acknowledge uh, the number of years that he has had a great impact on his players and the families and the culture <coughs> of, of hockey, uh, Canton hockey. And it's uh, when you look at the, the resume, he's just an incredible person to get 300 wins is an achievement. But the, the resume says three state championships, 2010, 2019, 2020. That is incredible. Five trips to the state finals, 15 league championships, uh, and numerous sportsmanship awards. So to Coach Schumann, uh, and all the players over the years, congratulations. If I can go through some of the uh, important dates and events, uh, we have school break coming up, as I mentioned. Uh, <coughs> February 28th, we have the CDI Third Annual Black History Month event. So we just have that flyer going out. We'll be sending it out to everyone through our various uh, roles, and, and you probably see it on social media as well. So everyone is welcome, and if I read correctly, that we have some GMS students participating, so that's exciting. Uh, on March 8th was that CPAC event, the Community Resources for the CHS Cafeteria, uh, 6 to 8. March 8th to 10th, kindergarten registration. So if we can spread the word, uh, because we put it in the paper, we try and put it on, on social media as much as we can, uh, we are so excited to welcome our families, whether they're coming through the the preschool, um, you'll understand why I'm kind of giggling here in a minute. Um, we talked about this being a really a threshold moment uh, that we want to show how welcoming and how excited we are for the families that they're coming. It's a big deal when you register your child for kindergarten. It just starts and you can't believe the years have passed by and um, it's pretty special. So the reason I'm smiling is uh, we've just been thinking about different ways to really make sure that these events, these moments, are a little bit more than transactional. Here's my registration. That it's a chance to meet the principals. It's a chance to uh, get excited and, and learn more about uh, how that introduction and how that a welcome into Canton would happen. 
So there's a video that's going to be put out there uh, that Ms. Shannon uh, put together and did some filming. Um, it's on the website already. Oh my goodness! So <laughs> that means we can pull it up, right? <laughs> Were you wearing a bulldog costume? Is that I was not wearing a bulldog costume. <laughs> oh goodness! Yeah, well, maybe next year. <laughs> maybe I'll go to registration with the bulldog outfit. But uh, we had we had some fun with it. Um, all all three principals were wonderful and shared their messages. And um, again, just try to. To, to welcome folks in the most personal way possible. Um, and of course, we all have to get a little acclimated. It took a few takes to get it done. Because Shannon was very patient with us. And, and We're going to see this directing. Yeah. Well, I know. Well, it's, I'm just teasing it. You have to wait until the meeting's done. Okay. <laughs> uh, March 9th, school committee meeting. Uh, March 24th, Cape Spelling Bee uh, that I mentioned. And uh, we're off and running through that month of March. That is my report. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. I have to just do a quick follow-up. It's to the Cape Sound <coughs> Spelling Bee. Glad it's back. Yep. Sounds like it's student-focused only. Correct. There's no a, adult not groups. For, not for this round. Which is wonderful. I'm a terrible speller. I had to rely on Maureen and Kendall and everybody across the table. <laughs> if we were to have to be involved. My spelling is not yeah. up to par. There's a, we want to take small steps in bringing it back, and Ms. Troy is leading the, the charge. Um, so there's no adult teams, there's no, you know, sometimes it's high school teams. I, too, get the sweats and have gotten knocked out early out of the Kate Spelling Bee. But uh, I'm excited <laughs> to be the moderator this upcoming March. I blame spell check. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just wanted to plug the BHM event as well. And, I mean, as you mentioned, there will be some GMS youth poets participating, uh, as well as uh, jazz ensemble, spoken word artist Crystal Dodson, and soloist uh, Ketsia Asip, I'm not sure how I pronounce her last name. Um, there's also a keynote speaker, so that is 7 p.m. on February 28th in the community room at the library. Terrific, and just an additional um, thank you. I wanted to say, uh, Coach Schumann, not only, I mean, having made a huge impact on the high school, and I know, at one point, he was a USA Today All-American ALL uh, Coach of the Year, but he's had a huge impact on um, Canton youth hockey overall, too. I mean, part of his success has been his commitment uh, to players from the very early ages all the way up to the high school, so thanks to a guy who's really all in. <laughs> all right, any other comments? Yes, Ms. Cummings. Um, there's just wonderful things happening in the district, but um, I'd love to add that March 17th through 19th, the high school is putting on their spring musical, Little Shop of Horrors. Yes, yes, yes. of course. Yeah. Exciting. My yeah. apologies for not having That's okay. Give you a moment to announce it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fabulous. Are you starring in it? I'm not starring, but you'll find me in there. I'm one of the choreographers. Oh, fabulous. Fabulous. Awesome. I'll be there. Okay. So moving on to the next item on our agenda, that is E, our teaching and learning report. Principal Sperling is here with us to share highlights of Project Lead the Way. Right, so this will be sort of a two-parter. It kind of ties in um, 
sort of some history and an overview of the Project Lead the Way uh, work that we're doing, which sort of dovetails really nicely into the Innovation Lab space that we've just recently opened. So um, just to give a history on Project Lead the Way and our relationship with it, during the 1920 uh, school year, Canton High School science and engineering teacher Katie Healy applied for and received a grant to start a Project Lead the Way course pathway. Due to the pandemic, the release and utilization of the grant was delayed until the 21-22 school year. In preparation for those courses, Katie Healy and Sean Holtzman, who's a member of our science and math departments, attended summer professional development sessions to learn the curriculum and pedagogy for an engineering and the design process course, as well as a computer science principles class. Katie also enrolled in a cohort that met consistently throughout the year to guide the development of an environmental sustainability course curriculum. We're currently offering three Project Lead the Way courses at Canton High School, which is the Engineering and the Design Process, Principles of Computer Science, and the Environmental Sustainability. Um, and there's been a couple of sections of each, so they're starting to really uh, take shape within our program of studies. These courses, along with the newly designed Innovation Lab, have added depth and expanded learning opportunities for our students, and we're only getting started. So I'll go through some of the uh, innovation lab uh, descriptions here, and then I just want to do a, a couple of thank yous for the people that were really instrumental in, in getting all this going. Um, so the Bulldog Innovation Lab, uh, I think you've seen some, some previews of this um, already, but just to go in a little bit more detail. So really the, the, the hope with this space, and we're actually now living it for the first time, we just started um, as we turned the corner into term three to get some of our semester classes uh, into that space. So really kind of retrofitting the whole thing, cleaning out what it used to be, which we'll see the before and after pictures in a few minutes, um, really having it be that creative collaborative space that I think we're starting to see in, in colleges and industries and things like that that um, haven't yet made their way into high schools in a way that I think we want them to. And this really puts us ahead of the curve when it comes to project-based learning, collaborative stuff, creative um, environments for our students. Um, so these are sort of the guiding principles that you see up there now. Uh, and again, this was in collaboration with some of the Project Lead the Way work and, and using the grant funding um, and then putting in some budget requests as well to really take that space to a whole nother level. So this is what it used to look like. Um, the good old-fashioned wooden metal shops that had been uh, ignored for a few years and, and kind of left to their own devices. So. Um, I can't even comprehend the amount of, of vision and energy that it took to kind of clean these spaces out. Um, and in a pretty short amount of time, as far as I would say, again, wooden metal shops are not my wheelhouse, but I, I got to imagine there's a lot that goes into it. Um, and these are the spaces now. Uh, so I don't even think these pictures really do it justice. And, and if any of you have been in that space and, and seen what it looks like, it, it's far more impressive than what this is. But from the, the surface of the floors that's very durable. It's sort of like a, almost like a garage floor where you can um, do just about anything and it's gonna remain intact. Uh, really solid butcher block, block tables that are able to be broken apart. Everything's on wheels. Um, everything can be moved around. There's different heights of different stations. So if students are working on something uh, collaborative, some can be sitting working in the space, others can be standing. Um, we've got really nice touch screen monitors in there so the kids can be collaborating whiteboards. Uh, we'll have some bulletin boards going up as well so kids can display their work and their projects. Uh, one of the main pieces that came up quite a few times was the vent hood that you still see in there. Um, other schools and, and I think even universities that have tried to design spaces like this, it's that ventilation that is really a, a hang up for them. We were fortunate that we already had it and it was in really, really good working order. So. 
for things like um, 3D printing, or if we get to a place where we have sort of laser etching, which is some of the things that we're looking at, we're already prepared to install those pieces of equipment without needing any other safety requirements. So um, sort of the eyes of our, our visual arts department lit up when they knew that that was going to stay and that it was fully functioning. Um, so there's, this is currently what we're using the space for. So we do have the three classes, four if you count sculpture one and two that are in that space now. Uh, exploring technology, construction, and design, which is a really, really fascinating class where it's got a tech component, sort of a design component, and then some traditional hands-on construction and design to, to build some of that stuff. So um, we have our CAD classes and we have our you know artistic graphic design classes as well. But this is one that using that space, I think we would have been really limited without that space to really run this course the way that we should. Um, the sculpture classes, we're very happy to move into that space as well um, and give the students opportunities to work in small groups and lots of supplies and um, be able to get a little bit messy without it, it being a huge deal. And then Kevin Sullivan, who teaches our entrepreneurship classes, again, was really excited to get in there and allow the kids to sort of work in more of that upper level corporate collaborative environment as they're sort of drafting their, their projects and their proposals. So I was able to go in and see his class in action and he had both of the monitors going and kids interacting with all different things on it while they were working on their projects. Uh, we've also started using it as a meeting space. It's a really, really good collaborative space. So I do my high school leadership meetings um, out of that space now. My next school council meeting will be in there to kind of show off a little bit, but it's, it's a fantastic space for collaborating. And then still to come, we're not quite there yet, but um, there'll be some, some additional furniture and, and movable whiteboards, um, places that kids can present. They can present electronically, they can present in traditional um, you know, old-fashioned workspaces. Laptop carts for our CAD program, additional 3D printing will be going in there. Um, there's already plans to get some real state-of-the-art color printers, laser printers. Uh, we are definitely looking at one of the laser etchers. Um, we do some work with the, the Audubon Society across the street and some of their artistic programs have really, really nice pieces of equipment that I think uh, we've got our eyes set on replicating here at the high school as well. Um, the other hope is that we use it as a reservable space for other classes from all of our departments. Um, so if there is a U.S. history presentation, um, instead of being in traditional small seats in the classroom, that they can get down into that space and use all the space that they have, the high ceilings, the, um, you know, the, the display boards, whatever they need. So we're going to add that to, uh, we call it the lab scheduler, which we use this space for as well, that if different groups want to get in and use that space, they certainly can. Um, and allow students to get in there. My hope would be if they have a study or if they have some unstructured time that we can find a way to staff that space as well so that they can go and collaborate um, in addition to their time in classes. So that's phase three that is still to come. Um, I do want to recognize the team of teachers and administrators that created the vision for that lab. Erica Fitzgerald, Science Department Chair, Patricia Palmer, Visual Arts Department Chair, Kevin Sullivan, our Instructional Technology Director, <coughs> Sean Reardon, who's a science teacher, Stephen Gall, one of our Visual Arts teachers, and Josh Fogel, who was then the Assistant Principal. Uh, thanks to their dedication and commitment to seeing this project through to fruition, we now have a completely transformed and innovative learning environment for our staff and students. I'd also like to thank our maintenance custodial staff. Uh, that was a lot, and I think that goes beyond uh, their normal job expectations to, to transform that space. But uh, we're living it now. We're excited to keep expanding. So hopefully we'll have more and more updates for you as, as the years go on for how we're really using that space.
Do you consider it um, a maker space, or is it is it really meant to be kind of a hybrid, uh, something different? Yes, to both of those, I think. Yeah. Um, I would say, in terms of a maker space, it's probably higher end. Um, we still have some traditional wood shop equipment in there that kids can really traditionally build. Mm -hmm. um, you know, small they're not cutting planks or anything like that, but. Um, Along with the 3D printers, I think we can do whatever scale the students are interested in. Our classes, I think, have still been primarily designed for traditional classroom spaces. So I think as we live in that space for hopefully this semester and rolling into next year, they can really expand those offerings as well. Um, Makerspace is a perfect title for it, but um, I think more of an innovative lens to that um, would be the sort of the hope. Yeah, no, that, that, that totally makes sense. And the, the, my follow-up question to it is just, is it, um, entirely unique uh, versus all the other rooms inside the high school? Are there other spaces that are lab, I don't mean yeah. <laughs> biology and yeah. chemistry labs, but are there other maker type spaces in the high school or is this really, Not really. kind of a brand new? It, it is, I mean I think we've sort venture. of cobbled some things together in the library just because it, it's a really nice open collaborative space with tables rather than desks and rows and things like that. But. Um, you know, I think as we look at spaces like this and, and looking down the road, that um, does it make sense to outfit more traditional classrooms with those types of um, seating and uh, be able to move things around a little bit and uh, more stand-up desks and things like that. So we're really using this to get a sense in that one space of is this kind of the direction we're headed. And I know some schools have already started looking at having more of those collaborative open spaces, so. Yeah, those are two things. There's the collaborative space, and then there's the 3D printing, Absolutely. and the construction, and then what the demand yeah. ends up being yeah. for both, probably. Yeah. yeah. How, how many classes, um, so the, ex, the exploring technology, construction, and design, sculpture, and entrepreneurship, yeah. is it essentially four, or like, about how many students move through these classes? That's a good question. So those classes are pretty full. So those are, are traditional size sections. Um, I think if we get to the place now that we can where, um, you know, if Katie Healy wants to take her robotics class in there, she certainly can on an off period. I've gone by just to check in and there's been some science classes in there that we're working on, uh, different types of lab setups and things like that, sort of traditional labs. Um, the hope is to get a lot of traffic in there and really have everybody be able to use it. Um, you know, if there's a, a speech assignment in an English class, let's do it in there and study a classroom and, and really be able to use it for a little bit of everything. Um, we still have the other side of it too, that we're still not quite set up yet, but uh, they're gonna be almost two matching spaces, almost similar size with similar equipment. So we'll be able to um, take care of a lot of kids in there in a lot of classes. That's terrific. Yeah. I can see how this uh, evolves possibly to a really, I mean, already, but I'm sure it will be um, a tremendous point of pride Absolutely. for the high school. And as you develop marketing materials and so forth, I hope people yep. know about it because yep. uh, it's the kind of space that I think many students and parents hope yep. that their high schoolers would have exposure to. Yeah, agreed. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, other comments, questions? I have something off topic, but since you're up here, <laughs> yes, that's okay. Yeah, sure. I wanted to thank you for um, a great um, course of studies evening, okay. held for the incoming freshman class um, last week, and thank you, Dr. Chamberlain, guidance staff, uh, all of the the educators that were there to speak to it, um, and a bunch of student volunteers. Absolutely.
and I probably have missed a bunch of people on that. But thank you to everyone involved. Um, I think there was a lot of excitement, and I was glad to hear, too, that there were some people that were um, incoming freshmen, possibly from out of district, moving in, et cetera. That was great to see them be able to be involved in this and really kind of from the first meeting for it. So thank you. It was exciting. Yeah. But it seemed like it went well, and a lot of excitement from the kids. Good. Mr. Marshall. Just want to highlight um, also thanks to our maintenance um, crew, um, but a majority of this funding um, happened through the capital process. Um, so uh, it's been a, it will, next year will be the, the third phase um, and hopefully we'll be able to complete with, with some of the furniture and, and additional items. Um, but it's, you know, the vision and, and what it's become, um, I think is, is pretty uh, uh, miraculous almost in uh in how when you can see it now based on what it was um then so um kudos to to the team that kind of put it together and uh it's it's good to see when these capital projects um happen and we were able to kind of do some value um engineering utilizing in-house staff to complete some of the work um to keep the costs down I have one question. Sure. Um, I'm not knowing if there is a different space for art. Is yep. there an, or is there a component to traditional art in addition to the sculpture in this room? There is. There certainly will be. And I think the supplies at this point are sort of more the manipulatives rather than the, the more fragile, delicate, you know, we don't want to get clay on someone's portrait. So um, just trying to navigate the different times when people are in there to make sure that it's clean enough for the next class to come in, but also it, it's it's meant to be a little bit messy in there and, and you know allow kids to kind of get some dust and some clay and things like that around the room so is there a separate room for art for more delicate type of absolutely things? Yeah. okay yeah, yeah with multiple art rooms yep traditional rooms so great thank you sure great all right any other further questions or comments all right hearing none thank, thank you. you very much thank we'll you. move on to the next item on our agenda which is f1 unfinished business Policy Section D, which is up for a second read in a potential vote. Would members of the Policy Committee like to share any points of view or thoughts before we go to questions and comments? Just one of you want to leave? Uh, I think that it, just as we mentioned last time, uh, we had a, a really good thorough review of this. How it happens is the the current and or Canton version is on one side and then MASC is on, on the other. Uh, we went through it one time and we quickly realized we needed Mr. Marshall. Yeah. Uh, it really uh, outlined everything in, in his world and his work. Um, and we very efficiently went through everything and made some decisions whether to stick with either Canton version or to go with MASC. Uh, we feel really comfortable with it. Um, since the last meeting, I don't think we Touched it or gone to anything different? We actually went to section eight. Happy to answer questions. Then. Okay. So, um, since since the last review, I had a chance to go through it, and I think it's been that the work is fantastic. Uh, there were three policies in particular I wanted to just ask about. Two that don't appear in here, and then one that one that does. So the first is um, a traditional policy in Section D that is called VKC, mm -hmm. and it's, um, I, I think, I don't know if it's in here, I don't think it is. It's meant to deal with business travel and conference slash training attendance. Mm -hmm. So this is not to hold up Section D, but to suggest that maybe the policy can be take a look at that 
This was part of the email you sent me, right? Yes, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, full disclosure, I wasn't able to attend last weekend's, or last weekend's, last week's meeting, and that's why I, um, we, we have so much fun with these meetings, we decided to hold them on weekends now. Um, <laughs> last week's meeting, and that's why I was just deferring to, to the two here. Um, I did forward your email separately to yep. Superintendent Fullen and also to Jim Hardy. Great. So I don't know what the content, what the conversation was during the we, meeting I on those. I we addressed that. Yeah, we showed it to him. You know, his, his feeling was there was an element where um, there was a level of specificity. He didn't go into it too deeply, but he just felt it like it landed within a little bit more of procedure or specificity versus policy. That was about as quickly as I can say it. That was the yeah, his, his feedback was that. I mean... I, if we need to go back and ask for more details, we can, but it wasn't something that he felt strongly or guided us to. Well, I'll, I'll just say, so the category of all three of these, so one is business travel, conference, mm -hmm. training attendance, another is expense reimbursement, and then the final one is scholarship and award funds. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I only raise them because those are three areas where there has been a lot of internal discussion specifically in the district about past practice and up-leveling and trying to provide some more guidance so that we do have consistency about how expenses are turned in, about what exactly is sort of fair and routine and uh, related to the business travel and so forth, what's acceptable. Um, and then finally, also we've talked quite a bit about the scholarship and awards. And so it may not land that the committee fully decides that the, you want those policies to group, to land in Section D. I, I just did want to point out to the committee that they do appear in other school districts' policy manuals, okay. and it could help us in this unique situation where we have had some challenge. So I want to raise it, um, again, not to hold up this one, but also to maybe have a discussion about those. They are um, policy DO, scholarship and award funds, DKC, expense reimbursements, and then same thing. There's another one, sometimes they call it business travel, conference, training attendance, DKC, A. Can okay. I ask a clarifying question? Have you already sent that to Jim? I, I guess I, I did, sent I that this. Yeah, I sorry. It to Kendall okay. so, so as to avoid deliberation. Yes, right. yes, yes. So right, straight okay. to Kendall, and then I just um, put my hands off it. I did send it to him. I know he said, because um, it was the day before, that he wasn't probably going to have enough time with just a day's notice to get the yeah, information sure. before then. Um, that was his immediate feedback. Um, so so I, the reason I, I wanted to clarify is because I do think it, now that we're talking in public session about this, I think mm -hmm. we should bring it back to a conversation with Jim where we as a subcommittee can review what mm -hmm. you're speaking of. I really am sorry, I don't know the details mm -hmm. today, but we, we should probably review it and have some guidance from Jim if you're open to that, subcommittee team. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely. fine with that. Are, we're okay? Not yeah, he gave a first blush, you know, as far as why it's not sort of endorsed or put forward as part of, like, the MASC uh, package, okay. but he also said, I need, you know, I need some more time to go through it. Okay. He always says the same thing. <laughs> this is my take, but this is your policy. So, yeah. you know, think about what works and what makes sense. Is this something that we would potentially want to, well, I say we, it's not going to be we for long. <laughs> um, but is this something that in general we'd want to look at even more closely? Because if we're making choices about how we set up the policy now, that's outlining something that we're still exploring. You know what I mean? Like we, Some of this hasn't necessarily been settled or discussed in the district, so I don't know 
how much we want to create a policy for it yet. Or do we just create the policy and then eventually it gets filled in with details? I'm not sure, but I just want to ask that as a question. So I want to jump in and just say, so the root of the way that we've been creating policy, if we do, is always look at best practice and what's out there, but then what is the practice in the actual district? So I bet um, Superintendent Fole and Mr. Marshall, we have guidance on expense reimbursement and conference attendance and scholarship. The question is whether or not this is an opportunity to revisit and or create any um, any improvements. I, so DKC is part of the packet that you yeah. have, mm-hmm. um, which is expense reimbursements. Yeah, so so that detail. is in there. So yeah. um, I think the question is the is around the detail of it. Yeah. Um, Personally, policy typically is high level, and then procedural documents, um, you know, get into more detail, which allow for flexibility of change. Um, so I think it's just a matter of um, the committees want to, you know, include more detail in a policy as opposed to a procedural document. And my question is, where's the procedural document live now? Do we have a procedural document, and where does it live? Because I, I see, you know, as I look at this, it's really just kind of travel tra- uh, talks about travel money, and and it's very general in terms of who, what is spent for if you're staying at a conference for a weekend, what's the hotel reimbursement? So where does that, where do those, say, parameters or guidelines live now? So there's not any, uh, there's not a adopted um, procedures document that I'm aware of at this point. It is um, something that uh, is on my uh, list and and once, um, and we've had those conversations mm-hmm. about, um, you know, and it, it's not all encompassing, right? There, there are different sections. Um, most uh, reimbursements are captured either in a personal service contract or in a collective bargaining agreement. So there are um, areas where uh, we're capturing pieces of it, um, but there's not necessarily a document at the moment, um, at least a document that I believe has um, been seen by uh, uh, this committee or our prior committee. So I would suggest that, you know, over the course of the next year as part of what you're working towards anyway, you know, try to consolidate some of that so that we do have a central statement about how this stuff works that could potentially be included in a review next year but I don't know that we want to hold up this policy today if we don't even have that underlying procedure yet you know I I was just going to follow up on the procedure but go ahead so I I was going to say there's language to consider and more specifically I think there may have been some confusion in the past about whether or not expenses needed a receipt at all to be reimbursed. They're just some very basic. Um, I'll let you respond to that one. <laughs> I, I, written into personal service contracts. So whether something's written into personal service contracts, so, um, I, you know, there's also law. Right. Um, so we're not just reimbursing sure anybody without a receipt. Um, and so up and up. whether that is written down somewhere or not, like it's, it's followed and, and that's on the town side. Um, who's really approving, um, you know, the ultimate approver of, of any of these reimbursements. So um, that's news to me that any reimbursement would um, ever, it, certainly since my time here, we're, we're not reimbursing anybody without um, a documented uh, receipt. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, there, there is a need um, to bring this 
these items together into a single document. Mm -hmm. um, right now, they're in multiple different documents. You know, I, there's a grants manual, um, which is a requirement of our federal grant, so we do maintain that. Um, but in, in other places, I've seen a more um, comprehensive kind of uh, document that, you know, for business and finance procedures, it gets into the level of, you know, even fundraising. And, and there's a lot of areas there where it, it would make sense. But I am not, I, I would not recommend that those items land in policy. Um, it, it's more of a procedural um, document. I mean, once it's in policy, we have to follow it. And there, you know, there's no way around it. The policy is our law. Right. So keeping in procedures lets us Right, but, but it sounds like we need to nail down the procedures because there, there has been some, I mean, this is very broad and it doesn't even cover, I would say, cell phone reimbursements because that's another thing that can be in a personal service contract. There's a lot of oddball things. Um, I'm glad here we're saying specifically reimbursement is aligned with the IRS standard mileage. That was not the practice for a while in personal service contracts, unfortunately. So, um, whether again this should also reference cell phone reimbursements but it sounds like so so to your point not to hold this up so to speak but then how do we get whose job would it be would it be yours okay so, to get this other stuff nailed down so it's not you know a, a, so we're, we're all clear like everyone's clear what the parameters are right and the other option I, I just wanted to reference again is not to hold up D per se but maybe pull out DKC to look and make sure the mm -hmm. language is useful for generation to generation, like mm -hmm. as we pass down, so that best practice is definitely something that's over, it's happening, but that mm -hmm. does happen into the future if people were looking. Mm -hmm. um, and so DKC is one, the other is may just DO, whether or not we want to do that, but that would, it's not in here. Okay. Because so that's what I'm saying. May I ask a clarifying <coughs> question about that? Um, so I think we've established that we do think that there's more information that needs to be provided probably in a procedure document, um, and that DKC is present. So what is the language you're suggesting be included in DKC that is more specific than the language we have now that we would actually want to put it in before we do this other work? Well, I shared a couple examples with um, so Halloran. And so um, rather than, these are just examples, and whatever we would do, I would want it to be in line with whatever Mr. Marshall thought best. Um, but I'd, I would say uh, understanding there would be more detail coming through guidance um, that we would pull out DKC and then hold out the opportunity to consider a policy like DO, whether or not we need it, while still approving Section D, so allowing for that to go forward without that one. If we pull out it's DKC, generic. does that mean that we're not addressing it this year? Because it sounds like getting those procedures together aren't something that's going to happen in the next meeting. You know? Well, I, to my mind, it's get the ball rolling, so to speak. I mean, I don't know what we I mean, whether we discuss the time, what's reasonable, but I, I think, you know, clearly there's a, there, I think there's a need for it. So this starts the conversation, DKC starts the conversation about how do we reimburse, but it sounds like, too, there's procedures and policies or whatever, they're all over the place. So how do we, and maybe this is another conversation for another day, but um, Mr. Marshall has been, been pulling, like, fees and things together. So mm -hmm. we're, he's been trying to consolidate. So what is the timeline? to get a document that sounds like a procedure document um, that would really be the specifics. Wouldn't, they wouldn't live here, obviously. It sounds like it's best to live in a procedure document. But um, I would agree pulling DKC out at this point in time just to keep the conversation going. Uh, and, is, and then so we can revisit it. The other thing, too, is DO, if, if it is not here, 
Uh, if you have, I'd like to see what it looks like because sure. certainly now that it's named, I can send you an yeah, example. Because um, certainly scholarships and how we handle scholarships has been something that I've mentioned multiple times, and I'd love to see what the best practice is out there uh, in terms of handling scholarships yeah, at the district level. And, and just for reference, like we, in some cases, we have policies in our manual that have never officially been approved, and in this case. There in, in Section B, almost in, in its entirety, hasn't been visited since 2018. So even when it was held for a year, it's still like a pin in it so that we will revisit it and yeah. it won't get lost in the process. Yeah. That's all. That, that it's, it's, it's a suggestion. We could also yeah. prove it yeah. and then come back to it. I, I just wanted so to I make sure the committee is aware yeah. of this yeah. is where that lands. Because a lot of times we say, when will we visit it? Mm -hmm. And this is an issue to visit. Mm -hmm. This policy section is the time to visit mm -hmm. if we were going to yeah. so if we are not going to put something more specific than we already have until we've revisited this procedure document which sounds like it's something that you know needs to get prioritized and work done um, what are we are we better off not approving the more broad DKC now or are we better off just approving that while we work to make it more specific you know what I mean go ahead I'll so, tell you oh I'm sorry go ahead. Mr. Marshall um, so DKC exists currently in the policy manual. Mm -hmm. There is a revised version. So if you pull DKC out, you're going to revert back to the previously, uh, you know, approved in 2018 DKC policy, right. uh, which you can do. Um, I, I do not believe that that policy is being followed to the letter of the way it is written. Um, not in all cases, but it, it is. It just is more detailed. I but um, I there's not a huge impact on the district um, if you were to pull DKC out, um, improve the rest of the policy, and revert back to this until uh, a different time. Are there specific fun. items that would potentially be challenged, you know, within the district? No. Nothing that I, that would be challenged. No. I'll tell you that we our approach generally has been to keep a whole section together so that once it's done it's kind of put to rest I don't know I'm, I'm kind of leaning as my own one person's perspective leaning towards either if everyone's okay with everything else approving this with the caveat that we're going to go back and once the procedures are established revisit those two sections just so it's updated for now and then pending the other information or holding the whole thing so that your that last question right. answers kind of that because I know we made a lot out of changes mm -hmm. I would just Mr. Marshall's feedback and guidance a lot of changes to the old version so if we were to go ahead with um, this section what about DO does that come later can we add it later so to speak once we've reviewed it or would that have to be done at the same time I think my personal thought is perhaps once those procedures are established I mean, the next oh, thing have to do, do is to, to read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah. So the DKC and DO yeah. will come back and revisit to that yeah. so that the updates that are in here now are possibly applied. However, yeah. as soon as the procedures are done, it'll bring so us back So we keep what's two. good about the current work that's been done by adopting the whole thing. Right. And then DO and a revised version of DCK would be postponed until such point when we're when you all the procedure are ready to visit it again. Yeah. Right. Can we get a time frame though of when we're going to revisit it? I mean, I know that's that's going to take you sort of figuring out when you can get to it, but can we sort of within six months? Um, what have a question procedurally, I mm -hmm. guess. When can we bring it back? Is there a step or process that we can? Okay. Yeah, so in working with, with Jim Hardy from MASC, he, he talks about it, it is best to, to vote in the whole. 
and he said, if there's anything that you want to go back to or, you know, the COVID changes uh, that would happen were examples where you can go back into a particular policy uh, within a unit. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it, it's, it's more or less is there. So we have DKC, you know, the policy committee moved from the Canton version to the MASC one. Um, we can even revisit that and, and get some more opinion uh, from Jim if there's anything okay. specific that we wanted to go that route. Um, the overarching policy work is keeping policy to that high level, as Mr. Marshall mentioned, and then making sure that you have good and documented procedures within the district. So oftentimes, um, you know, we're in good shape. Even DO, you know, first blush when he when he looked at it, it had a specificity that aligned with what that district does, and it didn't feel like policy. It felt like this is their their procedures and having some things that you know. He said it's not that high level piece. So let's see what he has for examples on that. Um, I'm not sure if timeline for for the procedural work, but you know, we meet with him again early March. Mm -hmm. uh, we made really good headway in E, so we can. He might have more feedback on DKC and DO and have other examples for us as well to consider. I, I can even contact him in the meantime and ask yeah. him to have that ready for our next meeting. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm not surprised by his response. I mean, it is for us to be able to say what's a priority, where we struggled, where maybe we have some holes or challenges um, as we enact or manage it within those categories. My, my goal in bringing this up tonight is just to name it and say that this is an opportunity to fill those gaps, potentially. I'm, I'm satisfied so long as the committee's talking about it and we all understand that Section D is where that sort of solution might live, whether it's broad-based direction and then we have policy and guidelines that come underneath it. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, the, the point is just to say here it is when, we, when it's come up in the past. It lives here. So, can you now share this uh, this other information? What DO looks like and yeah, sure, just the examples that I shared. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, and that's typically what I try to do anyway. Mm -hmm. I mean, I totally um, when we're using the MASC um, manual, which is basically best practice, right? Or their it, it's their reference manual. I feel pretty confident that we are up to speed mm -hmm. and uh, bringing our district uh, in alignment with what is considered state of the art. So that's fabulous, and of course. I know that this section was done in partnership with the finance subcommittee and Mr. Marshall, so it's fully informed. So the only thing I went looking for was what is missing um, and then what else tends to live in these um, policies that are issues that are more specific to our town and our, you know, way our schools have operated in the past. And I do say the past, I mean, some of the challenges, but um, anyway, it's just an opportunity to talk about it. Absolutely. So, Maureen, I think, Ms. Moran, from a timeline perspective, mm -hmm. I think we can, if that's okay with you, reaching out to Jim, and then we can talk about it next time that okay. we meet with Jim, and when we come back Perfect. to the session Give after meeting with Jim, we can provide an Perfect. update. We, Perfect. If it's okay, we could, if you wanted to approve today, yep. Section D, mm -hmm. and then with the commitment that we will come back with some information okay. or right. follow up. Sounds good. Works for me. Great. Thank you. All right. Any further discussion about Section D? And I'm thrilled we're moving on to E, too. Can't say, can't say enough about that. Okay. Uh, hearing no further uh, discussion, can I get a motion for the approval of Section D as written? Second. 
All in favor? Aye. 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 for me, 5-0. E. Amendments to policy section D are approved. So the next item on our agenda is G1, a review of the advanced placement results. Mr. Sperling, Mr. Fogel are here to review the results and any other student learning indicators of success that they have at this point in the year. Welcome. Good evening, everyone. Uh, thank you for uh, allowing us the opportunity to present the 2021-2022 uh, school year AP exam performance and participation results. Uh, I just would like to uh, briefly um, give some context to the exam structure and timing. Uh, in 2022, the spring of 2022, they returned to their conventional approach, um, paper-based fixed time and day for each subject that was published well in advance of the uh, exam date. In 2021, I just wanted to remind um, uh, our committee that there was a window of a testing period. Students had the option to do it in person or online, as did the schools. Schools could make that uh, selection and designation. And uh, there was a, a variety of in-person and online learning time given the hybrid model, the remote learning pathways, and that was nationwide. Going back even further in 2020, the exams were modified for time and content assessed, and all of the exams were taken at home and online. Fast forward to the spring of 22, they returned to their more traditional approach and conventional approach, testing the same um, length and uh, content depth, and they were in person and um, restored on the same testing day and time that was uh, consistent across the country. Tonight we'll review our AP participation, uh, the performance on the exams, both by content as the aggregate and then specific subjects. Uh, we'll provide a historical performance context. I'll show you a multi-year interactive dashboard that we've used to analyze uh, our own participation and performance and um, position ourselves against the state average, neighboring schools, co uh, comparable schools, and then uh, how we've used uh, the information gleaned. Our AP dashboard, uh, which is public through our new district goals tracker, uh, and I will, uh, if I could borrow just a few moments to take uh, our team on a tour of the nine-page dashboard and how each page is structured and uh, its interactive nature. This first page is our AP performance, and uh, it's going to display the percent of our tests taken with scores of three or higher. A score of three, four, or five on an AP exam is considered passing. Um, and so that is how states and schools and um, college board determines the passing rates. This particular page is going to display the percent of our students passing the exam. So all subjects, we had 68.3% uh, of our AP test takers receive passing scores. Uh, and that's a nice rebound from the 2021, essentially the, the COVID year. Take this all subject uh, time series and disaggregated by specific content. So here's our ELA performance, 73.2, mathematics, science, arts, foreign languages, and history. This page, uh, right now, it's uh, automatically populating the Canton scores and the state average, again, for all subjects and then by content specific. And we could 
select any other district in the Commonwealth and see how they performed on the same graphs with Canton and the state average. So if I just take Abington as an example, I'll use them throughout the night as an example. They just happen to be first in the, in the alphabet and easily clickable. Uh, every time. Every time, yeah. I tried to maybe invert it and do Worcester, but I don't know. I didn't like the color scheme that they came up with. So um, it, it's calling from a, a wide repository of data sources right now, but um, you'll see that when it comes up, it'll show Abington, Canton, and the state average in each of the graphs displayed and the tables underneath, too. I promise it works. Jamie's a witness. We tested it before. It worked. I'll, I'll come back to it. I don't want to be mindful of our time. Um, this page here, I'm just going to refresh the whole item. This, uh, these series of graphs, it's going to populate with just Canton, but you can select any other district. Uh, and you have the option to uh, select certain student groups or selected populations and juxtapose one another against uh, the same subject on the graph. So you can see how all students did against our students who identify as young ladies versus students who um, identify as white. And you can see the whole structure uh, and, and the comparisons on that page. This page is going to display the percent of students passing overlaid on the number of test takers per that content. So for example, uh, in the English language arts, remember we had 73.2% of our test takers pass the exams and we had 123 uh, English and language arts you know, tests taken. Mm -hmm. So that's how those three pages are structured. Let's see if Abington came back. It didn't. Um, <laughs> So the first three pages are going to report students with the scores between three, four, and five. The next three pages are, are structured in a similar fashion, but they're going to show the percent of students with fours or fives. So here's the percent of students with fours or fives, where you can use a, uh, the drop-down to select a school again, the performance and participation of selected populations, and the overlaid um, performance and number of test takers. We'll see this in just a moment, but this table is going to display Canton's performance um, alongside our comparable schools, our DART schools. There we are in the Canton green. This is reporting the 2022 school year. You can always go back in time and take a look, and you can add more schools to this if you'd like. The way that this um, table is sorted, it's sorted by the percent uh, of students who scored three or five. So it's sorted in a descending fashion from this column, the three and the five. So you can see here are our comparable schools. And we had 498 total tests taken from 235 test takers. That's over two per AP test taker. And this page is going to show the specific subject. So we've been looking at um, contents as a whole, but this page is going to show the specific subjects of students with a percent, uh, the percent of students scoring three to five. And so if we just select a subject, we'll choose English literature and composition. And there is the seven year trend of the students 
and our passing rates with that specific subject with the state uh, average right next to it. So last year in English language comp, 97.7% of our students passed the English uh, lit comp exam. And uh, on Ms. Burns' advice, we'll select Abington. You can just see it. We can continue to add schools to get, um, you know, if we wanted to see any other comparable school or school in the Commonwealth, how they did on that specific subject. Had Worcester do. I beg your pardon? Yes. And then very similarly, the next page is going to display the percents of fours and fives. This table up top here is going to show the participation. So how many students took uh, English Lit Comp. So in 2016, 29 kiddos of ours did. And in 2022, 44. And there's the, the trend over the seven years. So it's, it's from this dashboard that we built that helped shape our presentation tonight. Again, just a quick review of our dashboard. It, it, uh, it's going to share all of the percents um, for both participation and performance. Here we are in 2022. We had 235 test takers take an AP exam. There's the distribution, um, the disaggregated distribution by subgroup on the right there. So of the 235, there's the percent breakdown. Participation in all subjects, English and language arts, we had 140 kiddos, 60 in math, 91 in science, 152 in history, 22 in our world languages, and six students in our APR classes. Just a quick recap of our uh, tables for comparable schools. Percent of students scoring three or higher, so we had 68.3. The state average was 65.1. Here again is the passing rates for the subjects, or the contents rather, excuse me. So 73 for English, 70 for math, 79 for science, and then you keep going in the bottom row there, 95 for world language. Uh, I, I do want to uh, recall that uh, if the testing population is under 10, uh, we won't report performance for those schools. It's just to preserve some confidentiality for that testing group. Here's the uh, percent of students scoring four or higher in all subjects. We had 44.18% of our, our students scored a four or higher, and the state average was 40. And here again is a similar set of tables with the percent of students scoring four or higher across all the contents. Uh, we reviewed this. This is the, the multi-year specific subject example. You can see a seven-year trend by any subject uh, selected. Here is the percent of students scoring between three or five with the state average by specific subject for this school year. And it's going to go in a descending order um, by passing percent, passing rate. So AP Art and Design, and here's Bio, Calc AB. Euro history, psychology, and with the state average right next to it. So happy to, to help answer any questions, um, discuss the, the structure of the dashboard, what we've been able to glean from it.
Okay, wonderful. Thank you very much. And obviously having this level of data in this dashboard, once again, every time we, we talk, we thank you because it's incredible. Uh, I, I would love to ask you, uh, you know, there are some takeaways, just um, quickly looking at this, that I uh, can glean, but I wonder what, um, maybe, maybe together, both of you, um, what you believe some of the key takeaways are. And I'm, I'm thinking just personally that there's a greater comparison to be made, say, years 2019 to now, and in certain subjects, and based on our philosophy of um, inclusion in AP and so forth. But I'm just wondering what, what some of your takeaways might be. I can go. Sure. And so, Plus and deltas. Yeah, maybe. yeah. I think from, you know, just looking at, at sort of the bigger picture, it looks like a nice rebound. Mm -hmm. And then things are starting to sort of sweep back up, back up again. And, um, you know, the hope is that that trend continues, and, and I don't see any indication that it wouldn't. Um, certainly some areas that look like there was a, a noticeable dip, and, and I've had some conversations with those teachers and department chairs um, just to try to find out what they were able to, to get from those assessments. And um, some of the feedback we received, U.S. History is a good example that had a noticeable decline. And um, Mr. Connor, who is the department chair and the, the teacher, had mentioned that the focus previously had been on the content rather than sort of the possibility of some of the questioning. And, and there's the themes embedded in, embedded in that course, which was enlightening to me as someone who never took AP US history. Um, and that there wasn't sort of this, let's assess you on all of the possible themes for one content area. It was more of an alignment to assess you on the theme most related to that content er area. And he felt like that might have been a place that he could have underprepared the students. Uh, for some of those curveballs that he then found out the test really had a lot of this time around. Mm -hmm. So he's already started infusing that into the way that he's doing his instruction and his assessments. Um, he's a, a big proponent of sort of authentic assessments and even giving kids a chance. Like, this isn't graded, this is truly practice. Um, and then he's able to assess it and give really pointed feedback as we build up to those more graded assessments. Mm -hmm. um, He's also kind of scientific in how he looks at the results as well, and, and he was able to go in and, and take a closer look at some of those areas and where the kids were struggling and, and what maybe those elements were that, that weren't aligned with his previous study. He's you know, been teaching this class for a while, so I think it caught him by surprise as well. Um, but it's nice to see that reflective practice already and changes immediately to try to prepare kids better for that format of the test. Again, we have no idea whether College Board is going to throw more curveballs, but I think just having that wider scope, um, I think, again, which we were probably all guilty of last year, it was let's have kids find success. Um, and I think this year we're kind of back to let's find success, but let's make sure that, that the rigor is up there and those expectations are back where we want them to be. Um, but again, I think looking at the majority of the subjects, that there's that, the tail's going back up, which is exactly what we want to see. So, Awesome. And then can I, uh, oh, do you have any other? No, I, I, I think this table is um, a, a nice resource. Um, it, it, there's a lot to offer. We have the, the percentages of scores. Um, it's, it's interesting to see our number of tests taken with our comparable schools. Uh, looking yes. at this list, we can quickly glean uh, that we had the second highest test taken, uh, which were only six behind uh, North Andover, and they have 500 more students. So I, I do think that is... Um, you know, an interesting find uh, when looking at this particular chart. Um, and it is nice to see our rebound across all subjects uh, from what was a very challenging year the year prior. 
Awesome. Um, would uh, would either of you discuss the, the philosophy and the approach that we take to AP here sure. in Canton? Sure, yeah, and that's, I've done a little bit of kind of digging around on that just to, we have our DART schools that are sort of set for us by the state, but that doesn't take into account their AP model. Um, so I put a, you know some flyers out to my principal groups just to see who our comparable schools were in terms of our model. Um, there's not a lot that sort of have what we have, and, and um, I think the combination of open to essentially all grades at this point, really, um, no prerequisites, certainly a, a recommendation process and, and hopefully very informed decisions, um, and that all students that take APs are required to take the exam. So those three elements aren't as common in a lot of high schools. Um, I think what that leads to is a really impressive numbers in terms of the number of tests given. Um, to me, that is a really important number. I, I think it's great for kids to test themselves at that level. Um, I'll say almost at the expense of, of how they perform. I think sometimes that experience is, is really, really uh, important for them to figure out who they are as learners and maybe you know prepare for life beyond high school. Um, I think as we continue to refine our course recommendation process, which we've been able to add a lot of data points to that process starting this year, that those informed decisions will be even more informed and using students' longitudinal performance. Um, we've now added most recent MCAS scores to that. We've added their last year's grade in the same subject area. Uh, so if I'm a sophomore teacher now, I can take a look at my student. I know them this year, but I can see them going all the way back to actually eighth grade MCAS scores. Um, and it works from like a biology to a physics, where historically the biology teacher would only know biology. Um, now they can go back in and see how they are as mathematicians as well. So I do think that will help us really inform those decisions. Certainly not setting up any barriers to students. Um, but making sure that it's the right fit for the students as well, that they're not taking on more than they're really ready for. Well, that's terrific. And I do think uh, that uh, level of access yeah. is a, a point of pride, yeah. I think. Um, so it, it, it's wonderful to acknowledge and even share, yeah. I think, in some ways. Um, and so my final my question, my final question for you is just um, strategies that you, that you all employ to um, sort of continue to improve our AP um, performance over yep. time. Yeah, we've had some conversations already, uh, Ms. Shannon and I, about uh, an ongoing professional development cycle, if you will. Um, it's sort of in the embryo stage at this point, and there's a lot of levels to that, but um, we did some work taking a look at what was offered for AP teachers um, that can put them in really good cohorts. They can be in cohorts by subject, they can be in cohorts. There's six different themes that, that sort of the AP program lays out. One of those is sort of AP 101. Uh, it's a great place for new teachers to land. Um, and then there's some that go on to more involved themes within the courses. That some of those themes apply to multiple classes. So for some of the humanities classes, three out of those six apply. Um, and there's a subject specific. And then there's the summer institute for teachers that are new to AP. We want to make sure we're offering all that to our AP teachers. Um, and not expecting them to be the masters of everything once they go through that summer institute once. The content changes, the type of assessments, the style of assessment changes. Uh, there's also a mentoring program. So if we find that there are areas that we continue to struggle, um, 
aligning those teachers with a mentor to be able to really um, have a coach, if you will, and someone that can just be their individual uh, advisor as they move forward and, and hopefully expand their practices. So um, I think we've got a pretty good rudimentary plan in place, and, and we'll do some, some additional work around that to hopefully solidify that. But I do think it's something our teachers will welcome. Um, and as a district, for us to be able to provide that to our teachers, um, either because they're interested or because it's just that, we'll call it a three-year professional development cycle for AP teachers, um, I think it really feels like the right move to make. They're putting a lot into this. Uh, they're really rigorous courses, and where the test dates are nationally normed, we're already behind other parts of the country because we start the school year later. Mm. Um, so we have to play catch-up from day one. Um, so giving those teachers that, that best foot forward, um, to be able to get that entire course within a shorter time frame, um, I think will be really, really beneficial and something nice to add to the district. Yeah. Wow, that's great. All right, Ms. Yeah. <clears throat> we have uh, four courses where 100% of the kids pass. You know, another one that's 97.7, like those are outstanding numbers. I was wondering if you could comment on any commonalities among the courses that are succeeding at that level. Good question. Um, not firsthand, having just lived through my first year of AP at Canton High School. Um, I think some of them are probably tried and true, if I had to sort of wager a rudimentary guess, that, that these are very well-established classes, um, probably where the teachers are very familiar with the content and the outcomes expected. Um, again, like anything else, like the MCAS or the SATs, they will change their testing approach from year to year. I don't know if those courses maybe stayed a little bit more consistent, um, or if we've just got some really strong programs going on in those areas. So I'd like to think it's a combination of all of that, but um, I'll take it, whatever it is. It's, it's great to see, and I'm sure those teachers are really proud, and those kids should be really proud as well. Absolutely. Um, I remember looking through this, um, I don't know if it was last year or a few years ago, um, but we were looking at class size. Mm -hmm. Um, specifically, and I think some of, certainly some of the language classes, by the time you're in an AP French, you're not with 30 kids, right? Um, but I don't know how that translates to the others, and I know you probably don't know off the top of your head, but I was wondering if that might be a factor. A factor in? Performance. The performance, performance with, between the groups that are like way up on the high left and then the ones that are a little lower on the right. Um. You know, looking at this particular chart, uh, I would say that uh, maybe up until the biology, the, the class sizes might land on the shorter average. Mm -hmm. the, 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 we probably have fewer students in those classes than our, our more common ones like microecon, calc AB, statistics. Those are typically um, heavier populated. Uh, I'd have to go back in time to see if that is you know, an underscore of the performance. But for this year, I would say with confidence that those on the left there are, are f smaller class sizes. Okay. So as a point of information, um, on the 18th, uh, the, we were provided class sizes for this year. So if, uh, it was a long PDF document, mm -hmm. but if you were interested in looking what class sizes are this year um, for these classes. We, we do have some, we have an uh, AP Calculus AB with 28, AP Chemistry 24, AP English Lag 26. So we, we really have some large classes. Do you have psychology there? AP Psychology. Let's see. Um, I, I don't know the number. I, I believe we, have, we had four sections. Okay. So, I, I, so if, the, if the average is smaller, 
just I want the committee to know that we I believe had four sections think about yeah. the number of sections as well yeah. but yeah. I, I think yeah. it's an interesting question of correlation yeah. between class size because again we we have had that conversation that we have some very large classes mm -hmm. at Canton High how does that correlate to um, you know student uh, performance so to speak because I mean a big class yep. is a lot of kids to handle and, and, and teach can we go to the are you, I'm sorry you finished no I was just gonna say you know and I'm not implying that that's the only correlation <laughs> between the success of the different classes, which is why I was curious if the commonalities that you noticed. Um, but thank you for the insight. Yeah. Please go ahead. Oh, so if we could go back to the last slide that gives the, it gets into the individual classes. Yep. Okay. So um, one thing, I did see the European history AP, um, I don't see it on here. And that fell into the three to five, we had 53% of the kids getting three to five. So as I look at this, I'm going to look at the uh, the right side of it is, is more of a diagnostic. So if we look at biology, we've got about 82% scoring in um, three or five. As we get to the right, I'm looking, again, as a diagnostic. So I know for microeconomics and statistics, I know last summer the district purchased uh, an economics book for the AP course. So I'm curious, again, the correlation to this year, if they weren't working with the top of the, if they weren't working with the best um, text, that's unfortunate. And then we also uh, purchased uh, the practice of statistics. I don't know if that's AP or if that's for the other classes. But I, I think I'm concerned when I see, you know, U.S. history at 34%, um, U European history, psychology. So I'm concerned when I see a cluster of classes within uh, a particular subject area that are, are really, um, the numbers are not great. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know, and the other thing too, that English lit and composition is great. Our English language and composition is, is it's 59%. And my concern is I took a look at the AP uh, language description of the course and it's a lot of heavy writing. And my concern is, and I'm wondering again if we sort of use this as a diagnostic, if we've got kids who are taking AP classes, which in theory that's college level work, if they're, if the, say the high flyers are struggling with AP language and composition, how does that roll to the other kids who are taking, they are taking AP? Mm -hmm. So to my mind, if I, if I sort of look at that as a diagnostic, um, what do we need to be doing at the high school, going back to middle school, going back to elementary, when we've been talking Lucy Cock and sort of the elementary level, but these high school kids were journeys kids. So um, what do we need to do to obviously fill those gaps? Because again, if we're seeing it here, how is it filling in with the other kids? Um, but so, uh, and actually this is uh, something I've asked you, Mr. Sperling, I've referred this to Mr. Fole. Maybe Mr. Fole, you can ask, you can tackle it. Since 2016, and I, and I picked 2016 because, and Mr. Fole, uh, you were the, 2014 mm -hmm. was the year um, Canton High removed the prerequisites it's open to everybody, and um, again, the only requirement is you take the test. Mm -hmm. So 2016, we're a couple of years into the cycle of opening it up. So I've asked for, since 2016, how many of our, uh, and again, not specific teachers, but what of our teachers, who of our teachers have taken AP um, professional development? I know you're talking about it now, yeah. but historically, what's, what's been going on? Because um, obviously, as we've discussed before, we want, to make, we want to make sure our teachers are supported to do their best possible job for our kids. So maybe Mr. Fulgraff has made it to your desk yet, but I'd really be curious, um, since 2016, how, how many teachers in what subject areas have um, taken AP class? Because even looking at it, I'm sure the beauty of the pandemic was there's now stuff available online. 
So, um, and I actually within the finance subcommittee in recent years, we've discussed a specific $10,000 line item, a pot of money specifically for our AP teachers. So as the committee has learned through contract negotiations, every teacher, there's a pot of money for their professional development. We talked about a specific separate pot, if you will, so that a teacher, because it sounds like the AP classes are more expensive to take professional development, um, a teacher wouldn't have to ding you know, their pot. They could do both an AP class, professional development, as well as, um, I guess, whatever level they were looking for. So I, again, that's part of my question too, is since that money has been, certainly been discussed repeatedly in um, finance subcommittee, are our <coughs> teachers aware that the money is available? Has anyone taken advantage of it? Because when I see stuff in the warrant, it doesn't, it just says PD reimbursement. So I have no idea what, what teachers are taking. So Mr. Fogel, again, as our district data analyst, that would be really helpful if you could uh, tackle that. I, I'm, I'm happy to do uh, the research and see what we might be able to glean. Um, from the past, unfortunately, I, I might leave you disappointed now. I, I don't have that answer. Oh no, uh, just but going forward, if you could come oh, back sure. with it at some point. Yeah, I'll I'll, um, I'll meet with Mr. Sperling. Um, uh, I'll meet with Mr. Marshall, and, and we'll see what we could uncover Great. potentially from from the Great. past. Because yeah. again, we, we want to make sure we're setting everyone up for success. And obviously, if our teachers are, are have the right textbooks, if they need more, we need to know that. If they need the professional development, we need to know that. So again, as the funding mechanism, that's why we're here, is to set everybody up for success. So. Put that out there. I think one one route might be actually surveying some of the teachers. Uh, they would have the best record of, of what they've taken. <clears throat> some have taken advantage of that. There was a, a, a challenge. We do a reimbursement as part of the contract. It didn't line up timing wise uh, for it, and um, sometimes an institute may cost more than that full reimbursement piece. Um, so one thing, it, it has been known, and certainly COVID threw some, some wrenches in it, but Mr. Sperling is, as part of his professional development plan, making sure that folks know that this is, this is part of that cycle that he talked about and that it, it doesn't take away from that um, right. reimbursement that was, money. That's, that's what we talked That's about. the big yeah. part of it. We do yeah. have a line uh, for a general professional development uh, within our budget that we can access for that. So. Um, that's something we've talked about, and we're going to make it super clear. And, and there are some folks that have taken advantage of it, uh, but it, it's the right thing to do as mm -hmm. well um, because if they want to maybe get their master's or use that reimbursement in other areas, the specific knowledge and instructional approach that they need for AP is, is supported by the district financially. And the other thing, too, is, is I know Canton High is looking to launch um, AP government and an AP pre-calculus. Obviously, we want to make sure those folks, if I don't know if they're obviously they're new to AP, but obviously they're new to the classes, setting them up for success. Yeah, we have just in my short tenure here, any teacher that's new to AP completely attends the full summer institute up in Vermont. Um, we've had a couple do that. Um, we also have several teachers on staff that are AP scorers, uh, so they test the scores for that, which is fantastic yeah. because they sort of get the inner workings um, we've got a physics score and we've got someone in our math department mm -hmm. um, I would personally love to see that expand too but they miss some time outside of the building so uh, it's a huge huge commitment but um, it's really good to have our teachers involved at that level with the AP process um, I have a follow-up question there's something that you mentioned about our kids starting later in the year yep. Um, that is such an interesting idea to me, and I wonder if that means that we need to be making content available 
over the summer. And we do, we do. And th I think that's a piece that, again, is a little bit unique to, I'll say, the Northeast or schools that start when we start. Um, there has to be summer work. There just does, unfortunately. Um, I think the majority of our teachers are assigning maybe even the first unit or the first chapter. And then when the students come in, it's sort of taking a look at where they were, and we got to jump from here. Um, and that's a bit of the challenge with courses that are so fast-paced and rigorous. Um, and that screening process and the course recommendation process, really making sure that students know that. Because I think sometimes students will hear like a summer reading, like, oh yeah, I'll cram in August and I'll be ready to go for school. This, you can't do that. Um, and I think the students have found out quickly that no, this is real. Like, I got to be ready for this. So, um, and our teachers do have um, some dedicated time over the summer for some touch points with those students as well. So, they don't just send them off into the summer and then wait for the first day of school. There's some ongoing um, communication with those students as well. So, I was going to spend Mr. Marshall's money and offer additional funds yep. if that was necessary for the teachers. Yeah, yeah. no, it's. Uh, and again, it, it's not unique to Canton. I mean, it's you know schools in this area that start when we start. There's, there has to be that summer work up front. So, um, but. thank you, Joe. Other questions, comments? Not about this. I have another question, but no. related to AP. No. Okay. Okay. I was I was wondering. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I have I, okay. Yes. Go. Uh, and I think, Ms. Moran, I think you just answered it for me. I was thinking that U.S. history was the new AP course, but it's U.S. government. U.S. government, okay. which will be so, for yeah, okay. next school year. Pre-Cal. Yeah. And I know it's also in here, but can you direct me to where um, it shows the enrollment of U.S. history AP students? I'm wondering, the 34.9%, what's what the number is? That that's, I know it's above 10, because you said if there's fewer than 10, that doesn't show it for confidentiality. Um, we had 43 students. Okay. That does not mean in the same classroom. That's correct. No. Sections. Just, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. We don't know how many sections. Two. <clears throat> Usually two. Wow, well, the two. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. And my final question on this, and it really is a question, it's not a statement or loaded or any of that. Um, at one point, we. Um, I learned uh, about uh, pre-AP classes and some pros and cons to that, mainly cons in terms of like probably reducing equity because of labels. Um, and I'm wondering with, uh, I know that the districts were moving wonderfully towards vertical curriculum alignment, whether it's K through eight or all the way up, eight through 12, uh, or six through 12. I'm wondering, um, with the different structures that are in place or coming, um, thinking about math, thinking about some of the um, program studies reviews for the different subjects, maybe through NEASC. Um, you talked about uh, strategies for improving sort of AP related to professional development, but I wonder about the pipelining of students, if there's anything more that we're thinking about doing, or honestly, it's just, we're already offering it, and part of it is just, um, really helping kids hunker down and get the work done. Yeah, I think it's, it's probably that initially, and then I think we have to have ongoing calibration of our, our leveling system. That will certainly come up in NEASC. Uh, they're very, very interested in levels and how students are placed and recommended, and, um, so we'll have some, some good introspection in that in the fall when they come out. But um, AP Precalc is a really good example where we've done some good overlay and comparison 
between sort of our, our higher level non-AP math classes now. And there's actually been some really good conversations about is AP pre-calc rigorous enough? It's going to be desirable to students because it's an AP class. Um, and it carries the weight for the weighted GPA mm -hmm. that an honors level or an advanced doesn't. But when we took a look at sort of what was being taught, the pacing, the rigor, and our AP calculus BC, it's a lot of letters, scores are really, really high, and that's where those students are coming from, that we want to make sure that if we're offering AP pre-calc, that we're not doing so at the expense of that other class that now might not look as desirable to students. Um, without watering that down, but so that where we sort of landed was, well, if we need to sort of upskill AP pre-calc, if we don't feel like it's on par with where our classes have been, then let's do it. Um, again, as a new class next year, we'll sort of use that as our beta test um, just to calibrate where it falls within our math continuum. Um, but when the scores for AP BC come out the way that they do, something's working at that upper level, um, and we want to make sure that those pathways remain as strong as they've been. Fantastic. I just heard you say something that I'm wondering that's a little bit separate, but weighted GPAs, that's only for AP classes? No. It's, there's Five no difference? No, I mean, if, if uh, like, college prep honors AP, yep. is there different weights yes. for each level? Okay, all right. Yep. I misunderstood what you said before. Sorry. Thank you yeah. for clarifying. So I just had to find a question, Mr. Spelling, while sure. we have you. I took a look at the um, course of studies yep. the high school, and I saw that math, the four-year math requirement was listed as starting for the class of 2027. Yep. So I think that's a typo, because we had 26. talked. It was 2026. Yep. So it, it's listed as 2027. So the only concern we had there, and I thought we had discussed it here, was that the students didn't know that. Uh -huh. because that hadn't been approved until just recently. Right, so that's why when we had started discussing last, uh, yeah. last August, I was encouraging the conversation earlier right. so the kids wouldn't be surprised in January. Right. So I, I think the, the committee, you know, we've been talking about it for several years yeah. now, and again, a few years ago, I think it was perhaps yep. before your tenure, we talked about 2025. Okay. So I, I think, you know, to my sense, it was the committee's intention that it would become this yeah. current year's freshman class yeah. of 2026. Okay. Yeah, we can revisit that. I mean, that's not a major change either way. Those kids are all in classes. Right. Our only concern was for our current students not knowing how close we were going to get to course selection time, yeah. um, making sure it didn't feel like we were pulling the rug out from under them with something that the families hadn't seen or heard. Yeah. Um, I wasn't comfortable sharing it until it was approved. Yeah. Um, and, and actually, well, the, the other thing is that I, I looked at our district report current. And I see that last year we were 100, the class of 22 is 100% mass yeah. core compliant. Yep. That's pretty amazing because it's certainly something we've been mm. talking about for years. Yeah. Yeah. So to my mind, that even underscores Absolutely. how yep. we go right for 2026. Yeah. The no, I don't freshman. think it, again, we'll have, I'll have conversations with Dr. Chamberlain to yep. see where she is in the mm -hmm. conversations. But again, where we're at that number anyway. Yeah. Right. Um, just, find, yep. just make it official. Yep. Easy yeah. enough. Okay. So for some reason, it's not going to go back to 2026 if you could just come back to the committee. Absolutely. But, okay. Yep. Great. Thank sure. you. Sure. We'll do it. I just mentioned two things. Sure. So we just heard district report cards mentioned. They were just released to us this week. Um, so those are something that Mr. Fogel talked about earlier on, that they sort of are uh, just report, report card light. They will be sent home on February 28th. Uh, so we're, we're going through those right now. Um, they don't have that accountability measure or a performance level in target areas that they traditionally do, uh, but they will give uh, some other areas here. The, the second thing that I just want to mention, I want to commend 
the work of the teachers, and, and it is there is a coming out of this that is there, and that there's great investment and in work by the teachers, and um, the instruction matters and, and the resources, so I know that they appreciate that support. But I also just want to balance and kind of echo, I, I, I've heard Mr. Sperling talk about this, and I've heard Dr. Chamberlain too, and I, I just want to say it publicly. Mental health is a, a very big component uh, that we think about in our, all of our schools. Um, and we've actually heard from students talking about uh, the, the balance of trying to have challenge yourself academically and meet expectations, uh, and then how to have that right balance for mental health and well-being uh, and so forth. So we are very cognizant of that. We hear a lot either the individually, whether in the forums, through surveys, that that's a big aspect. So thank you for making sure that's part of the conversation with parents and families. Um, because as someone that just did a whole bunch of college tours, they want healthy kids. Mm -hmm. They want healthy kids and they don't want four or five AP scores, I mean AP courses. They want to see some uh, a great trajectory where you're taking a few. Um, there's no magic number. Uh, again, having gone through at least 10 visits, they want to see that level of rigor. They want to see passion areas. They, they want to see you challenge and you know, perform well. There's no magic number either. Uh, but they want that experience. But what they don't want is just overloading junior or senior year uh, to, to max out, because um, they worry. They, they, want, they want folks that are, that are healthy and mentally well and have that work, uh, not work-life balance, but school-life balance. Um, so I commend you and your staff for always making sure that's a priority and part of this discussion as well. So I am to that point. I'm pleased that Canton High is opening up AP to sophomores. Mm -hmm. I think that's yep. great because again, rather than kids, we had a student here last year and he was <coughs> taking five AP classes. Yeah. I'm also wondering. This is a different conversation. As part of when kids are signing up for classes, um, in the if they're looking to get AP classes, uh, do they do they know that depending on where they're thinking long term, their score will impact whether or not they get credit at that college. And do they understand that not all colleges give AP yes. credit? Okay, so there's part, because again, when the young woman said five AP classes, I, I was really just taken aback yeah. by that. So the kids do get that sort of, again, it depends on where you're looking at, the more competitive colleges yeah. are looking for a four or five. Yeah. And I think that's a, you know, I don't want to take too much more, yeah. but I, I think mm -hmm. that's a challenge when we open it up to students at a younger age, though, mm -hmm. because they're taking it because it's the right level for them and they want to stretch themselves as learners. I don't think they're probably saying, hey, I want to apply to Colgate, are they going to take this class? But I think as we get there, and, and you know, we're still seeing the mix of schools that will offer credit, others just offer where it comes from, advanced placement, and they skip sort of bio 101 at the college level and, and get that placement in the advanced class. Some offer both. Um, so it's really a mix depending on where students land with their search schools um, to be most informed about kind of what they're going to get for the work they put in. Just two real quick things, sorry. Um, one, it is very important to a certain, most sophomores, um, that AP was opened up. It's really helpful because they can kind of spread it out and plan their future. Um, and then I heard you mention 2025. I'm 2025. Is there anything math no. changing? We no, couldn't get it. I couldn't okay. get it done no. for 2025. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we tried to. Okay. <laughs> we tried to. We're hard on this. Fired. Which you probably already took. It's, our, it's only for 2026, four years of that. Okay, yeah. sure. Well, if there's math for complaint, they would have. I just love how she, yeah. I, I think I should know. <laughs> 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 We're on camera, why not just, just tell me right now? Yeah. Yeah. 
Wait until you're a senior and then tell you. All right. I have one more thing. I'm sorry. Feeding yes. <laughs> off of what everyone's saying, because I was thinking it before. You just brought up social-emotional uh, learning, and I was thinking before. The counselors, as they're meeting with their students, probably have all this info, I'm yep. sure, right in front of them. Yep. Okay. That was a piece I was thinking about earlier in my mind when it was brought up about the balance and making sure that that, that conversation is happening with people. And even, even if we get to a point where students are recommended for the majority of their classes at the AP level, there's all ongoing deeper conversations about that balance and, and the management of that um, really informed decisions uh, to, to try to make sure that just because your teachers have confidence in you at that level it doesn't mean that's the right balance for you yeah. thank you sure okay thank you okay. and so now the next presentation is for uh, agenda item G2, which is our benchmark assessment update. We have Mr. Fogel, who's sticking with us, and Ms. Rooney, who's joining us to talk about the Winter Universal Screener and benchmark assessment. Welcome. Thank you. And welcome back. <laughs> um, once again, thank you for um, letting me borrow some time and share uh, the winter uh, mid-year assessments for our screeners. Um, I, I'd like to take uh, a bit of an approach, share the, the methodology behind the scoring and the assessments for each of the specific categories. Um, share with you the findings that uh, I was able to glean and present to the team um, and share some considerations based on those findings. On the first page, uh, we have the K-5 to Universal Screeners. Um, they take the STAR assessment in English and Math. Uh, the, just for a uh, quick recall, the STAR assessments are dynamically selected questions in light of the student's performance. It's an adaptive exam. Uh, and they're going to route students to their lowest and highest level depending on their unfolding performance throughout the test. The STAR exams take a very comprehensive mathematical formula to assign students performance categories. The, the first formula to take is called the RASH model. And, and I brought a prop. So we have a ruler here, and the ruler is going to show the lower and the upper bounds of the complexities of the problems. And as students are taking the test and they get questions wrong, they're going to you know, go down until they get a series of questions correct under that strain, and then they go back up. And they, again, it's going to be adaptive towards the difficulty and the complexity. This is that model. And so throughout the exam, they're slowly getting more precise on a performance category. They're going to end somewhere that's going to generate a scaled score. Mm -hmm. That scaled score is the Bayesian model. That's the mathematical formula that they approach, uh, apply to that model. That scaled score captures their performance, and they take that scaled score, and they line up all the scaled scores for the students that took the winter assessment on STAR nationwide in that grade level, and they line them up, the, the lowest scaled score in the range to the highest, and they assign percentile ranks. The percentile ranks are then assigned the performance categories, and those performance categories are at or above benchmark, on watch, intervention, and urgent intervention. And those benchmark categories are used in our RTI and our MTS processes. Does that help kind of frame the STAR assessment and categorizing? Okay. So our K-5 students have just completed our mid-year screening with STAR benchmark assessments. The screening window was open from January 2nd to the 13th, and the charts below 
share those nationally normed comparisons based on their scaled scores and percentile ranks. Uh, the following charts help us to compare the fall results to the winter results, again, in that national comparison. So you can see the early literacy, the K-2. to The first column is going to show the fall percent breakdown of each category. And uh, next to it, it's going to show the winter breakdown of each category. So the same student testing population is going to show their um, performance against both the fall and the winter. Same with the reading and then the math scores. And what has emerged from those results, uh, the students have demonstrated growth in each of the STAR assessments from the fall um, assessment. In early literacy, the at or above benchmark grew by 5%. In reading, the at or above benchmark grew by 6.5%. And in the math, the at or above, uh, above benchmark grew by 5%. The response, and again, these are helping inform our RTI and our MTS uh, processes and interventions. The response, given the winter uh, score reports, 137 students are receiving direct support in reading with specialists and Title I tutors. 53 are now new to intervention, so they've been categorized given the winter screening. Two math tutors started in late January at the Lucent JFK, and we have our fingers crossed that a third one's gonna start soon uh, at the Hanson. 88 students are receiving math support in cycle two. The uh, considerations, because of uh, STARS partnership with Freckle, that dynamic provides opportunities for personalized learning. So STAR can share screening results with Freckle for both English and math, and students can use Freckle to practice the skills that have been identified in our both screening periods to help um, enhance those skills that are maybe proven to be challenging for those students. Uh, and, and they can continue to work on those to develop those understandings. So that captures our winter mid-year assessment for the STAR. Moving along onto the, um, the middle and the high school, we have Common Lit, which is our screening tool for English and language arts. I, I do want to share that it doesn't assess any writing. It's just reading comprehension. And we have IXL, which is our math benchmarks. <coughs> uh, in reviewing the uh, methodology of the Common Lit, so in a different um, mathematical structure to their assignment of student category uh, performance. They do what's called an item response theory. They take the, the percent of correct answers in addition to the difficulty of the questions you've gotten correct, and that's your proficiency. So if I got two questions correct, and Miss Rooney got two different questions correct, but the questions she got were measured as greater difficulty, she's going to have a higher scaled score than me, even though we both answered two questions correctly. So it's a different formula, um, and it's going to still apply a scaled score based on their item response theory. In reviewing the assessments for both English and math, uh, we have begun an internal discussion around the validity and reliability of these performance category results for our students. Uh, I will share that I did raise uh, that discussion with our team. Um, it was in the findings um, that I was able to glean from both the Common Lit and the IXL that I, I had urged the teams here and our building principals and Ms. Ashley and the math department chairs to use great caution when interpreting the mid-year results and having an immediate reflex for any future lesson plans or student interventions because of those. And, and I'll get more into detail in just a moment. Um, we really want to discuss in greater depth um, the range of our standards assessed, the continuity with the current instruction, our own student and teacher feedback, and where I came in was really the disparities in the student results. Uh, 
Uh, with that, we still take the, the information and we interpret it with caution. And for common lit, we have uh, a little bit wider of a pocket of students where I would say that the, the data was very consistent with their historical context and what we would consider valid. And we have a pool of students where it was, wow, that is really outside of that student's academic history and antecedents that I want to be cautious in interpreting those students. And that, that was a, a relatively big sample. Um, what emerged from the sample that I think we, we really wanted to, to take a look at um, at, the, at the GMS, there was growth in the percent of students achieving on or above grade level, which is great, and then a slight decrease in the students performing below grade level. Again, great movement in all those categories. Um, at CHS, there was a larger discrepancy with the mid-year results in the students' current classroom performance and their historical context. And then with this, you know, one potentially potent data point, but it is just one data point, uh, I did urge the team to kind of pause on, again, a, an immediate reaction to it just because there was such a large number of students where it was just so inconsistent from all of their other demonstrations and representations in the past. We did notice that um, students performed well in the assessed areas of vocab and language, structure of text, how it contributes to the plot and supports any analysis through their inferences. Um, the considerations, we still need to um, consider potentially character development and point of view uh, and to analyze how complex characters develop over the course of a text, interact with one another, and advance the theme uh, or the plot of the particular passage. Uh, I know that teachers are reviewing the findings, whether it's class-based or individual student-based. Uh, I, I supported that recommendation. Uh, we are just noticing that the variances uh, are a little too vast to kind of consider that all of the reports in the students' uh, performance categories are valid to then take into consideration. The IXL model, if I could uh, move to the math piece, it's going to return to the RASH approach where it's going to ask students um, a series of questions under six math strands, and it's going to, again, pinpoint their current grade level um, performance. I, I will say that we are seeing even greater disparities, especially at the high school level with IXL and a student's previous um, you know, academic portfolio. The high school students, uh, we were able to put together a portfolio with you know, a series of years behind it and have, I think we can anticipate and predict a relatively small range of performance given their past practices and we just did not see the yield of that, the function of the, the student's past uh, academic portfolio come out in the high school's IXL. So um, I, I, I encourage Mr. Sperling, our team here, Mr. DeVoid, to um, open up more discussions around IXL, its use, especially at the high school level when you have uh, the students that we tested were algebra and geometry-based uh, enrolled students, that they are in such a narrow but deep course of study in only one of the tested strands of IXL. Uh, listening to the teacher and student feedback, the sort of the pause and the momentum that they've established in the class on translations of you know, triangular prisms across the <coughs> y-axis to then stop on that. Now we're subtracting polynomials. It, it, was, it was tough to empower and engage, the, the tool was tough to empower and engage the students to, um, to kind of break that momentum that they established. At the middle school, um, 
we found it to be more precise and more consistent with student performance and more aligned with our predictability, uh, our forecasting, and, you know, and, and, and great response to the interventions down there. So there, we, we did recognize growth at the middle school. Uh, we had increases in students scoring in the above grade level, uh, increases in students um, performing the on grade level, and a decrease in students performing the below or far below. So again, great movement around there. Uh, we are interpreting those results and are using the findings there to help shape future lessons and provide that personalized uh, flair for the students. Uh, we have seen, uh, we have witnessed rather, growth in numbers and operations and in algebraic thinking down at the middle school. So th those are pretty complex strands of the assessments. At CHS, uh, and I think it will ultimately expand to the middle school, they're going to partner in their conversations uh, and determine appropriate practices for these periodic assessments uh, of students' strengths and areas of focus. I think it's a good time to just reevaluate, especially the vast disparities that we've recognized. Um, what is to come, not only in the pacing of the curriculum, but also it's one of our uh, target areas uh, for focus, our data, statistics, probability, geometry and measurement related topics at the middle school. Uh, I think that a, a, a silver lining at the high school's IXL could be that they are using it to supplement the teacher-led instruction, um, but it, it's just not yet um, activating the students um, as I think IXL would hope in, in the full range of the screening periods. Going back to the geometry example I raised, um, the teachers are using it to help students identify and practice skills within that geometry band. Uh, so that has been fruitful and profitable. But to extend it to then go back and do, you know, linear equations or point slope form, uh, it's, it's not as, you know, profitable or uh, within the bandwidth of both the teachers and the students. So I think uh, discussions are on, uh, started. Um, I, I did inspire those conversations just given the findings. Um, and I think they're going to really add to, you know, stronger student achievement over time. All right, thank you. Um, wonderful. Uh, I, I can imagine that possibly you'll see the students in those STAG courses doing pretty well on IXL yes. since it's more uh, well-rounded of a, you know, an exploration of the different math topics. Uh, a, a question I have, and I think I'm inferring also just from personal experience, but also just from uh, the takeaway curriculum considerations, uh, is it possible that in the high school um, and over time you'll see improvement if students are, I mean, I know there's a lot of testing. Is testing fatigue? Is taking the test seriously? Yep. Um, with the incorporation of the different uh, inputs for recommendation for course matriculation, if I excel as part of that, perhaps um, there'll be a little bit more value placed on the IXL piece of it. I wonder, because it, it takes effort, but I don't know. I don't know if this is just a theory or, because I, I, I know just having like lived it in um, the, the middle school that uh, it, it could be, you could talk about it until you're blue in the face, but until like the, the light bulb goes off that it matters, uh, it's, it's about effort sometimes and getting used to the, the tool. And I think that's been the challenge, and I had a good conversation with Emma actually <laughs> earlier this week that, um, these sort of stop everything event assessments at the high school are not common. Um, a lot of uh, sort of benchmarking assessments kind of end in the eighth grade because kids get into very particular courses yeah. of study. So one area that we're looking at, and I, I had a good meeting with uh, Mr. DeVoy today actually to talk about it, is 
using IXL as a tool, but more within the confines of their current course of study. I think the testing in that format versus something that they might do on a more consistent basis is important because it prepares them. One of the differences with IXL is if you get the problem wrong for any reason, it's wrong and you're out and you move on to something else. Which in most math, there's sort of, let's see where you went wrong with the solution and let's kind of help you through that. There isn't that opportunity with IXL. So it kind of brings you down to, okay, you got this one wrong, we'll move you down a peg, if you will. If you get that one right, okay, we'll move you upstream. So we're looking at ways to create sort of specific course modules within IXL that could really be used as maybe a pre-assessment and then along with their mid-year assessment. Um, I mean, the ability for someone in a geometry class to go back and kind of take this comprehensive stop everything at this week in January assessment on all of their math learning, is just, it's an odd placement at the high school level. Um, but I think that the tools and as a resource, and, and Emma had mentioned a little bit about this too, just being able to go in and do some practice, do you know some problems here for homework that maybe tie into it. Um, so we're really now taking a look at what capabilities IXL has for us to sort of take those out, allow our teachers to build sort of a common assessment that can absolutely be used for course recommendations. We weren't able to get that data from the way it was delivered as sort of this, again, all or nothing event on X date that just felt disjointed. Yeah. Um, I have no doubt kids didn't take it seriously. No question. Mm -hmm. uh, when it feels forced and sort of imposed, it's so it's not going to give us anything that we can really use, and, and I feel like it could be too valuable of a tool to just keep going down that path with it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, it was just a theory, but I figured. Yeah, no, um, and I bet I do want to say I found um, at the middle school level, even looking here at the, the areas for consideration, the data, statistics, probability, geometry, measurement also hits close to home. And if a parent is a partner at home looking at how the student's been practicing and the teachers recommending problems, I mean, I, in, in very similar ways, uh, it does help you better ask for and then get support in those areas that maybe they missed during COVID. I mean, this, this, they're blips what, for all different reasons um, that uh, various topics didn't stick. Our teachers so I, do, I found it to be very, very helpful. Yeah, and the teachers have, have referenced it as a, a, really, um, a really good resource. Especially math spirals, and right? And as an intervention, if, if, if we've got a kid in Algebra 1, but we know that they've struggled with some of the foundational elements, that might not live as succinctly in that Algebra 1 class, because we've got to get you to know Algebra 1. Yeah. But through some interventions, either through, you know, we have our math interventionists now, mm -hmm. um, maybe in some of their either support classes or things like that, that it's a fantastic resource that I think we could use. But as sort of that drop everything, take this whole math test yeah. that's not graded, that's, you know, it, it, the buy-in I don't think will be there. Yeah. And I, I, well, the last thing I'll say about it uh, is that uh, knowing that IXL was part of the number of um, components that would be considered for recommendations for courses in the year ahead yeah. made it that much more important yeah. and, and suddenly matter, yeah. the, the test yeah. very relevant. Absolutely. Or at least how the student was doing throughout the course of the year and the score they had accumulated over time, which is also another way to do it, self-pacing, which also appreciated. Uh, anybody else? See Ms. Cummings? I, I have a few things. Um, so, I mean, like you mentioned, like benchmark days, you kind of get that like, big eye roll from students because like everything stops and it kind of stinks but they're helpful so we do it um but like with IXL like I'm in geometry so 
when I do the benchmark, it kind of feels like my brain's all over the place, but it's not because it's actually the test that like jumps around with me. So it's like, I do really good on shapes, but then once we get somewhere else, I'm like, it's escaped my brain because we haven't touched upon it. Um, but I feel like with the benchmark, in math at least, it's, it's a good snapshot of like kind of what's going on, but it kind of stops like class for like the week like leading up to MCAS, like especially now we're like, okay, MCAS is coming up, let's kind of get more in and more in. So ISL, we're now tying homework lessons into like what we're doing in the week, but you also have one review. So that's really helpful. Um, and then it like, it'll show you like you've jumped grade levels, which I know you said isn't always super accurate, right? Maybe kind of. Uh, only when you go up. Only yeah. when you go <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but like that's helpful to see like where you're growing and stuff but that's my math piece and then common that i know we talked <laughs> we talked a lot the other day um with english i think it's really helpful to practice like the reading and answering questions but like for me personally like the writing piece of it i feel like is lacking in benchmark because i know i would really like to see my growth over the year if i'm progressing in my writing at all because like I like don't always love to do those writing assignments and they're hard to do like on time and I feel like that's just something that I would like to practice more especially leading up to MCAS because everyone's pushing that it matters it matters now um, so I feel like that would be really helpful to just practice a little bit more and see our growth that's all I have thank you other questions or comments so a couple of questions um, all set Okay, so under the common lit, we'll, I'll start with common lit in the IXL. The, the talk about the discrepancies. It both is that meaning it's identifying gaps, knowledge gaps. What is like when it's discrepancies for both common lit and math uh, or IXL? What does that mean? Um, so I, I found that there's. Um, I, I found that there's discrepancies. So in common lit, for example. Um, Common Lit categorizes students at either above, on, or below grade level. And again, it's just simply based on the performance and your response to two informational passages and one literary passage. It's, I think, 19 questions. Mm -hmm. Students, so for example, uh, we had, I felt to be a very inaccurate, disproportionate number of students falling below grade level. Pulling out random samples of students, none of them were below grade level at any point in their academic history in Canton Public. Um, and this is going back till, you know, went back to their fourth grade. So no MCAS result, result uh, no MCAS performance resulted in anything under like a meeting expectations category. They were earning A's and B's in their transcript up until English, uh, uh, excuse me, up until, you know, this one performance category. Um, the, the disproportionate percentage or the distribution of students falling in each category was just so inconsistent to any applied historical context for that selected population. Even greater of a disparity we found in IXL at the high school. So, and then, so if you take sort of the students aside, if you look at the exam um, from your, so longitudinally, yeah. comparing, you know, when you're saying historical academic context, is that for the particular students or for the actual exam? how it's what it's revealed over the past couple of years so we we took a, a sample of students and we looked at their mcas performance oh no, i'm not about the students i'm talking about the actual results like how did the comment look last year so to speak 
last year's last year's they, I did not find them to be consistent okay. with last year's results. <laughs> so this, okay, and then um, how about the IXL? So this year's results compared with last year's IX result IXL results? And no, they they were greatly distant from one another. And a clarifier yeah. in the same grade. So not the same students, right. the same grade, yeah. having the same, having a diff totally different yeah. experience yep. with the assessment. Yep. This okay. is really it, confusing. Like my head's yeah. all over the place. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Like um, why, like have we gone down to figure, or are we the only district that is experiencing the disparity with the same test being given year after year with such theory. different results? Uh, like is it the test? Like so I, in the, in the case of Common Lit, I think we're using the test in a manner that it was not designed for. It really is designed for teachers to have data about the standards and how kids are performing and to really be able to think about, what do I need to teach more of, right, when you see trends across <coughs> the class. We're using it in a different way to try to predict how they're going to do on their MCAS, and that's really not what the tool was designed for. Um, so I think the teachers are using the data that they get, and they can kind of look at gee, it looks like Debbie didn't do so well on this. It's not consistent with what I've seen in her performance in my class. Have a conversation. Oh, you didn't take it that seriously. Oh, you weren't feeling that well that day. Like, whatever the ex reasons are. Um, but I think as a tool, Common Lit was not, like, it's not a star assessment. It's not a true, like, universal screener. It's really designed for a different purpose. But I guess, my thank you for explaining that to me. Again, I'm not an expert whatsoever, and this is all new to me on the actual testing, but if we had been using these tools in the past without this very disparate, like, th this, is it because we had not looked at the data and now we have Josh who's telling us well, this tools is the case of that? We've only been using it for a couple of years. Yeah. And I think, so they think there's multiple factors. I think kids have figured out that it doesn't really count for anything. They're not going to get a grade. It's not going to impact their grade. We're really using it for... In, instructional purposes to help us drive our instruction and think about what kids need more of um, when teachers are planning. And I think kids have figured that out. And, and when, especially at the high school level, if it doesn't count for anything, check, 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 I'm done, right? And, and we've been trying to get actually the data from both Common Lit and Excel to say like, can you tell us how long kids took to take this exam? Because that time on task that I can get in STAR, Oftentimes, if I see a score that's discrepant in star, and we look and say, well, yeah, he was done in 14 minutes. Like, what's up with that? Like, there's no way, right? Um, so there's a lot of reasons, I think, why the data is not necessarily accurate to what students are able to do. Um, and I think the conversations we're having is, like, what type of data do we need? And, and what tools would give us the ability to get that data? And what processes need to be in place? So, so knowing that high school kids are not going to want to like stop everything and, and take this like diagnostic in the middle of the year, like how are we going to gather data on how kids are doing so we can monitor them if that's, that's something that's necessary. Ms. Warren, I feel like I totally interrupted your thoughts. Sorry. That's okay. But I'm wondering then where do their grades come in? If we're talking about diagnostics, um, I would think their grades would be a diagnosis of how, how well things are going or where the challenges are, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I yeah. think prior to COVID, grades grades really were what we would use to kind of gauge how kids were doing, right? But if you remember back a few years when we were re-entering after the COVID school shutdown, the Department of Ed was really clear, schools must have a plan in place to monitor students and, and assess them coming in um, to see how they're doing. And so this was kind of our response to that. And we've continued to use the tools over time as we've kind of gotten back into our groove after COVID. But I think it's time 
especially at the secondary level right now, to reassess, like, are these tools helpful given the time that they're taking out of class and instruction, mm -hmm. or are they not? And if they're not, then what, what's the right plan? And I think those are the internal conversations that we're having. Versus at the elementary level, where I think having STAR in place has been a huge help mm -hmm. um, in targeting the right kids that need intervention, taking the kind of guesswork out of it for the teachers so that they kind of they can rely on that data to help them. And they also have teams in each of the buildings that are doing that intervention piece in the reading room and with the math tutors now in place. So that feels like a very different process at elementary than it is at middle and high. Um, so I think that that's another factor that we need to consider. I have, ooh, sorry, go ahead. Um, I have a quick comment on the, your timing that you touched upon. Um, I've noticed with IXL, timing is kind of all over the place. Um, personally, I've taken like an hour and a half, two hours on one, and I've taken 30 minutes on another. And I mean, that could be just because I'm getting them all wrong really fast, or it could be that like, I, I don't know, but I notice like when we're in class, it literally feels like it takes us like two days to have the whole class fully completed, and you may be done in 30 minutes, or you need yeah. those. And I think at the high school level, it's the way we're using the tool that's causing that to happen. Yeah. At the middle school, the teachers are using it, the tool in a different way. So anytime, um, I'll use Ms. Cummings, Cummings as an example, anytime her students take a test or a quiz, when they're done with her test or quiz, <coughs> they go into the, what's called the diagnostic arena, and they do some, some practice problems. And it suggests stuff for you to work on and your recommended skills, and once you work on enough of that, it won't let you keep practicing because it wants you to reassess yourself and see if you've made progress. And so because they consistently do that across the course of the year, when they go to take their diagnostic, it already has pinpointed them in some yeah. of the domains, so it's much quicker for them to take it. But in the high school, because the demands of the course are so stringent and we've got so much content to cover, they don't have the, as much time to, to put some time aside to do the extra practice and things like that and I think the middle school kids maybe are a little more compliant with finding time outside of school or using their X block to get that extra practice in whereas the high school students have sports after school and all kinds of other things working and all that that they may not have as much time to dedicate to kind of that ongoing practice piece but that's why it takes you longer yeah because you haven't had the in-between practice parts okay. I just wanted to mention that I breathed I'm good for it. Um, I love seeing that there are 53 new to intervention, you know, that we're finding those kids without a whole long conversation. It seems fairly simple. Is STAR in the elementary school still tracking close to what we see in the MCAS? So we toggle to the state benchmark to be able to see those levels. And, and I think when we looked at that data, it, it looked, we see improvements in all the, in the categories where we want the improvements today. Um, I think it takes a long time to see like dramatic shifts. Um, but especially in math, I think with the new math program in play at the elementary, we're seeing a, a lot of um, higher performance, which is great. Um, sorry, I meant more like how they do on the STAR is a good assessment of how they'll do on it. Yes. And you want to? Yep. So the, there's um, two ways that we've tried to answer that question ourselves. Um, we, we take a look at the predictability feature within STAR and see what, where, they're, where the current student is projected to fall. And then we took their current performance category and applied it to last May's MCAS performance category, and it was very consistent. Great. Um, and we just don't do that with the tools at the secondary level. Is that or you the, did the do tools that, that we have don't have that capability? So Mr. Folio has done a lot of the analysis himself to like, huh, 
does this score coincide? Wow, no. This the kid, you know, this student um, was meeting expectations on his MCAS last year and is in the like far below grade level on his IXL right now. That doesn't make any sense, right? Thank you very much for identifying all of that and bringing it to us. Thank you. And just one last question for me, and that is basic, a very basic question. For that ruler, um, for <laughs> bringing that back, for the STAR assessment, is the entirety of that ruler representative grade level standards for Massachusetts? I have been wondering if it goes up and down or if it's like everything they need to know in that grade or if it goes higher or lower. It will test you going up from, you know, can, First grade all the way up to 12th So you grade. could be sitting down in any grade and so it, will, it will toggle down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or it will toggle yeah. up. Yes. Okay, It'll great. So I think the, that's the type of result you it, see. It was really hard at the beginning. Teachers would say, like, I don't understand. I was watching this kid take the test and he had questions around, like, dividing fractions in second grade. I'm like, yeah, because the student is probably really good at math and started getting some really hard questions yeah. for, for that reason. And no, it's not like stuff that, that you've taught, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And that we had to go through a lot of like, well, I think they guessed their way through. I don't think they can guess their way through that many questions and still end up, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was really hard to like trust that it, it kind of knew what it was doing. Yeah, all right, fantastic. I have a comment. Um, you've set the bar very high with a prop, so that will be expected <laughs> for all presenters. <laughs> That's it. I just have a final quick question. Yeah. On the, um, getting back to the um, STAR assessment, so again, it says nationally norm comparison. So these, what we're seeing here are our kids, correct? Our kids yeah. in comparison okay. to anyone across the nation that okay. took the mid-year assessment. Right. So I'm curious, at the um, at or above benchmark, what does that mean? Is that, you know, say for the older kids, does that mean they're reading at grade level? What does that mean? So the, um, so going back to the methodology, um, when you get a scaled score on the ruler, mm -hmm. their, their formula, their methodology applies a percentile rank. Mm -hmm. That percentile rank is going to be um, displayed on the normal curve equivalency, so your standard bell curve. The 40th percentile and above is at or above benchmark. So if you're in the 40th percentile rank, which is the lowest or lower bound of the average range, STAR categorizes as that as at or above benchmark. The difference between 40th and 50th percentile on the ruler is like six scaled score points. So they account for that small margin of error, that small variance between the 40th and the 50th percentile. So if you are in the 40th percentile, you, you're flirting with the on watch category, but they considered you at this time to be at or above benchmark because of that normal distribution on the, on the bell curve. Benchmark meaning grade level? which I think is what you're trying to yeah. find out. Does that, is that what it means? Grade level equivalency, yes. Okay. And so the, the students who are in the on watch, it might just be by, a, sounds like a percentile. A yeah, it's, it's, okay. so if you fall into the on watch category, you're in the band of the 25th to the 39th percentile. And uh, the intervention category is the 10th to the 24th percentile, mm -hmm. and the urgent intervention is the 0 to the 9th or first to the ninth percentile. Okay. So I have, can I ask? Oh, yes. <laughs> have another question. So in the elementary school, as we're fine, and as we're trusting the tool more, based on the results and the teachers are probably more comfortable, what is the action that teachers have? There's gonna be, I'm assuming, a wide range of students that are gonna be, maybe 
maybe yes, maybe not, I don't know, all over the map, like above grade or, or not, like how can they touch those? So there, there's actually a, a report that you can run in STAR that will help you understand what the focus skills are for every student in your class that took the test. And you can group kids so you know these, these three or four kids that fell in the same kind of range, they all have these same focus skills. So then during the wind block or the flex block, I can pull those students and do some work in that area. I think the other piece that's really, really helpful is that they also have freckle. Freckle's a separate pro product that we purchased licenses for to go along with STAR and they talk to each other. So if, if you've taken the exam and, and you are like above grade level in all your subjects, when you go into Freckle, it's putting you in content that's at your level. Yeah. So it might be, you might be learning about stuff and working on stuff that's, that the teacher hasn't even taught yet. And if you're a student who needs to work on you know, <coughs> fractions, how you add fractions, because we've already gotten past that and you don't have it yet, it's going to give you work on that. So it really does that personalized learning piece really well. But the teachers are also, as they get more and more familiar with the tools, learning how to pull that focus skill report and be able to group kids. Um, at the last uh, faculty meeting, the principals had them together. And at that point, we had already had all of the data meetings. So the teachers knew which kids were going to be leaving the room during the wind block to go to intervention, either in the math or reading room. And so then they had to could focus on the students that were still with them and what focus skill areas were those students going to need to work on and how are you going to design small group instruction to help them during that wind block because they're staying with you. Yeah. So I haven't been in a classroom, elementary classroom, for many, many years. but. I think, if I'm understanding this correctly, I think this is great and fascinating that the teachers will be able to create smaller groups of students at the same time. Because I'm thinking, what happens if a teacher is providing a class or a lesson and half or one or two of the students are bored beyond their mind because they know this. So they might not be learning, but they might also be getting in trouble by doing some other things that shouldn't be Sometimes doing. Sometimes happens. Um, or, I don't know, drawing or something. Um, but if, if I'm following, they're going to be able to individualize by group more of the attention to the lesson. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yep. I think that's great. I just wanted to better understand. I have one more quick question. All right, Ms. Cummings, last um, question. I know IXL tells us how we do after, but with Commonlet, is there a way for us to access how we did if we're like on standard or not? Because I feel like we just kind of like take it that one day and then it, we just kind of like don't talk about it. And if like I'm below average or like on average or almost there, like I want to know before I take it. It doesn't have the same capability like I printed out all the reports for the middle school so that those would go home to parents because we know like we want to do I, um, Cumberland doesn't have the same option to print yeah. the report your teacher can tell you how you did okay. so you certainly can check in with your teacher and but there's no easy mechanism for us to just blast out the information to kids which stinks because kids would like to know right yeah yeah Okay, thank you. Yeah, but we can certainly talk about with Ms. Ashley about how we could try to do something. I like think that. that would be really helpful, especially for the sophomores going to take the class and yeah. then take the mid year and then have to take MCAS a few months later. I think that would be helpful to see like, where they're at. Yeah, great point. Thank you. Thank you. Certainly would help build value into the assessment, right? Like this right. Another reason why I'd want to yeah. take it serious. Because I, I don't know how I did last time, so I don't, right. Right. I don't know if yeah. I have to do better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right, thank you. Thank you all. We really appreciate you and uh, that presentation. Very, very helpful. Okay. So the next item on our agenda is G3, the Financial Cost Center. Uh, we have Mr. Marshall presenting to us a proposal pertaining to Financial Cost Centers for a possible vote of approval. Thank you. Um, so we 
quickly touched upon this um, last meeting when we started our first uh, read of Policy D. There's a couple areas within Policy D that reference cost centers. Um, and for the most part, we have been um, utilizing these in some form, but this really, uh, it, it's a requirement that the committee vote um, to approve the individual cost centers. Um, so I come with this memo today to ask uh, for a vote, and I have recommended, um, I believe seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven cost centers, um, which are salaries, uh, contractual services, supplies, transportation, utilities, out of district tuition, and then other. Um, what is other? Yeah, so other <laughs> is anything that doesn't fit in the first six categories. Um, and so, it, it was important that if we don't list other, um, that then all anything that didn't fall in those categories, now you're uh, held within those individual lines. Um, and so the policy reads um, that uh, we are not able to spend outside of the total within a cost center um, without approval of the entire committee. Um, so if we budget $41 million for salaries, and come April, uh, we realize we are going to spend over $41 million on salaries. Um, I am coming to the committee, mm -hmm. typically during a quarterly report, mm -hmm. um, to state that and, and through that vote. Um, mm -hmm. But we're, you know, we're bringing more attention to it and, and, and talking about it, um, which has not necessarily happened um, in the past. Mm -hmm. uh, and so if we didn't provide other we would then not be able to spend outside of some singular line items, which I don't think um, uh, works well, right? We, we might be coming um, weekly <laughs> um, to ask for, uh, for changes. Um, so that's my recommendation. I, you know, school districts, DESE um, does not provide a great deal of um, um, uh, information around this. Um, there, uh, recommendations are very broad. Um, they're really only looking for, um, you know, a breakdown um, of sometimes three or, or, or four categories. Um, and so I do think it's important that we expand a little bit more from there. Um, and, and different districts do different things. Some Sometimes they do call centers by location. Um, so a call center would be a school as opposed to a, a spending category. Um, but I, I think these high-level um, categories um, make the most sense for us. And the, and the reality is, I think 95% of our expenses fall within three of those categories, transportation, out-of-district tuition, and our salaries. Um, so. And I, should, I just want to make a comment that this would bring us to the best practice and in alignment to what is recommended by the policy. Okay. Well, uh, it makes a ton of sense to me. I sat here thinking, racking my brain, what else, what else, what else? I think it does seem to cat um, cover most of what I could imagine the major categories are that you'd be um, uh, considering cost centers. A question I have is where does technology fall? Is it uh, supplies, utilities, contractual services? Uh, so it's going to fall. Tech in, is always the. It's going to fall in multiple categories. Professional yeah. development was another question, right, that mm -hmm. we came up. We, we often report on professional development because we like to see how much money are we spending. That's somewhat new because um, we're tracking that, right? When I say new, the last 10 years, right? Tracking of professional development, mm -hmm. tracking of technology, relatively new um, in terms of the amount that's being spent in those areas. But the reality is it's going to fall across different um, areas. And so that's 
that's where the funds, um, the breakdown of the budget, you know, it's broken down in multiple different ways. The funds, you know, will provide some different level of detail as to um, an area as opposed to, you know, a category. Um, so software, um, you know, is uh, oftentimes a contractual service um, because, <coughs> you know, somebody's providing a service, um, you know, think of paying for your internet, um, which is technology to me, um, but a, a computer is going to be supplies. And if it was software for curriculum, it's supplies? Software for curriculum. Uh, it depends. Yeah. <laughs> it really does. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, if it's a one-time, um, you know, you're buying QuickBooks off the shelf in a box, <laughs> it's, a, it, it's a supply. If you're buying an annual subscription to QuickBooks, which is the exact same product, it now becomes a service. service yeah. um, so it depends on how you categorize, and I'm, I'm not an accountant, but it really depends on how you categorize the use of that tool, if it's going to be an operational type of thing against your books, or if it's going to be a, an asset that you're buying or purchasing, a one-time type of payment. Did I kind of do okay? Yeah, and so just another layer of this is uh, we're currently working with the town um, to do a redesign of our chart of accounts, um, and that's being that started at the town level. But uh, what we're going to be able to do in in, in later tonight, uh, I can explain a little bit more. But we have different codes and budget codes um, that are aligned with these um, each of these items, uh, and through this work, we're segmenting out what those um, codes mean uh, in order to break down by uh, many different location, um, you know, uh, special education uh, versus regular education. There, there's multiple different ways that through those, um, it's, it's really a, an 18 to 20 digit number um, that you don't ever see, but we have the ability to pull reports with those and break out the segments of, um, of our budget codes um, to really break this down to a very granular level. Um, and so we'll have the ability to do that hopefully within about 18 months. All right, wonderful. A really short, quick, easy thing to say and something that takes years and a lot of time to do. Yes. <laughs> I can imagine. So thank you to you and your entire team for this. Uh, I think it's going to be a, a huge up-leveling. really appreciate it. Any other questions or comments before we possibly take a vote for these new cost centers? I think the only comment that I would make is if we can start with this cost centers and as we see fit in the future, we can make adjustments. Is that true? That's correct. And that's one of this, when we talk about policy and instead of naming the cost centers in the policy, the policy states that the committee must vote on cost centers. That allows you to come back and vote a cost center at any time without opening up the entire policy manual. Yeah. Um, and so this is where we start talking about procedures. Right. We have this memo. We know it was voted. Um, but next meeting, if you say, listen, I really, we really think that professional development should be its own cost center, we come back and we vote it again. The policy didn't need to change, um, but we're changing effectively how we're reporting. Yeah. Okay. All right. I will move to approve the financial cost centers as reported. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Nine for me, five zero. The financial cost centers are approved as written in the memo. Thank you very much. And we'll move on to the next item on the agenda, which is G4, our student activity checking account maximum balance. Also from uh, Mr. Marshall is going to present a proposal for this uh, for possible vote of approval. 
Yes. Um, so again, similar to uh, what we just discussed, um, uh, part of policy D references are student activity um, accounts. And this has actually been flagged in a few um, prior audits of our student activity accounts as well. Uh, okay. Our high school <coughs> student activity account also has a local check-in account. Um, that allows um, our AP clerk to write checks um, directly um, that do not go through the warrant process um, for any monies that are specific to student activities. Uh, the example that we discussed um, was the prom. Um, and so uh, a check that's typically written um, to reserve uh, the space for the prom, um, which at one point was probably just a few thousand dollars, um, now you know is a twenty uh, to $30,000 cost. Um, and so our current minimum balance in that checking account is $15,000. So the monies are held um, in the... Um, the town of Canton account, the, the large balance, and then we're able to replenish this smaller checking account um, to write checks out of. So currently the maximum balance of that account is supposed to be $15,000. Um, we have exceeded that um, multiple times. And so uh, it is, uh, the policy changed actually um, to make this an annual uh, requirement that every year, typically in August, when we do kind of annual votes around fees, um, that we would be uh, bringing this to the committee. So we would have an opportunity to potentially change this um, every year if we needed to. Uh, but my uh, recommendation is that we raise the minimum balance of the high school student activity check-in account from 15000 to 40000 Should it be maximum? Shouldn't it be maximum instead of minimum? Well, reaffirm the maximum balance and then raise the minimum to 40. So I don't know what the maximum is. It's maximum. Yet. It's written wrong. Yeah. Thank you. No problem. That is a, an error. So and it I'm, is. It's maximum. maximum. The maximum, maximum amount is 40,000. For so the account will be 40. Correct. Okay. So the way the policy was written before, um, since it was 15,000, and, and uh, Mr. Marshall was talking about. We exceed that at times because of yeah. the example of prom and everything. So we need the threshold to be higher. Yeah, and I it's not that often per year, but. No, and if you write that $20,000 check, then you leave the account at zero, and then you have to go through the warrant process of replenishment, which can take three to four weeks. Um, and so that's the reason that we're asking for 40, okay. as opposed to just asking to raise it to you know 20 or 25,000. All right, terrific. So with that uh, edited language, do I hear a vote of approval for this? Uh, so moved. Approvement. Uh, student activity checking account maximum balance change. So moved. Second. All right. All in favor? Aye. Aye. That's a nine for me. Five zero. This is approved. Thank you very much for doing that. And I'm glad this type of work is coming out of the, the policy review efforts as well. So that's a nice alignment. Okay. Next item, G5, uh, our Q2 financial report. Mr. Marshall, do you have that for us to review and then possibly vote to approve? I do, thank you. So, uh, quarter two is gonna be our report through December 31st. Um, there's multiple attachments uh, to the report. Our uh, school committee um, voted operating budget uh, was just over $50 million. 
Um, we did have a carryover of $4.7 million in um, prior year encumbrances. A majority of those are salaried encumbrances. Um, so uh, many of our unit A staff that accrue their time to get paid over 26 um, periods, so they get a paycheck throughout the entire year. Mm -hmm. um, that money's accrued in the prior fiscal year and then paid out in July and August, and that's why those encumbrances um, carry forward into the next fiscal year. Um, which makes our total uh, available budget in FY23 uh, just over 55 million. Through December 31st, we have expended uh, 24.5 million dollars, and we have an additional 31.7 million dollars that are encumbered. Uh, that leaves um, a current negative balance of 903 thousand dollars in the operating budget. Um, just as a point of reference, last year at this time, um, that amount was negative uh, $990,000. Um, so it is not, uh, it, it's typical that we run into that uh, deficit. Um, the reason is we have offsetting entries that need to occur throughout the year um, that will bring us back um, into a po positive balance. Those offsetting entries are typically um, special education expenses, uh, specifically for tuition and for transportation, which are offset by the um, special education reserve account, um, which I'll be coming to you for authorization to spend out of that. That requires authorization of the school committee and the select board. Um, and then also our circuit breaker reimbursement funds um, that we receive quarterly throughout the year and typically we have some carryover. We're allowed to carry um, our prior year um, amount forward. Uh, so. Uh, soon we'll be starting some of those entries. Uh, we typically like to see how the year plays out because we don't want to move too much money if we don't need to um, so that we, we maintain um, a relatively small uh, balance at the end of the year. Uh, total um, salaries um, are uh, $45.6 million. Um, that makes up 82% of our operating budget just in salaries. Um, and when you take... Uh, I think I said this earlier, salaries out of district, uh, tuitions, transportation, and utilities, that makes up 95% of our operating budget. This is kind of a start of those cost centers when you see the chart um, on page two. Uh, it doesn't align uh, directly with the cost centers that we were just approved. Um, we do have professional development, some other areas in here. Um, so likely uh, in the future, you'll see the cost centers broken out, and then you will see um, a, a probably a, a more expansive breakdown so we can see some, um, some different expenditures. Um, so you can see the two areas where uh, we're in the negative are our out-of-district tuition and our transportation, and again, those are going to be line items that are going to be, uh, going to be moved. Um, we do have about $1.5 million in salaries um, that, it, that is showing. Um, we are expecting um, some substantial uh, retroactive payments that are going to be coming in the future um, uh, following uh, negotiations. Uh, I've also just broken down um, by location. I think it is helpful to see one of the areas that we need to do um, I make improvements on in the future is um, how we are coding items to the location. As you can see, a large portion of our expenditures are um, coded to district-wide expenditures um, and are not broken out by location. So again, that's where that chart of account redesign is going to help us. Um, so we really will be able to separate um, even administrative expenses potentially, um, you know, that are um, that are portioned out across individual buildings so that we can really see um, you know, how we're spending. 
What's, what would be just a quick couple of quick examples of a district-wide expense now that would be ultimately um, better categorized going forward? I'm just curious. Um, curriculum materials, okay. um, you know, some of these uh, technology type of e mm -hmm. expenses, um, maintenance, um, you know, uh, regular maintenance uh, mm -hmm. is typically just okay. uh, coded uh, district-wide. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have some salaries, um, you know, that are coded district-wide. Okay. You know anything that's happening outside of the school year, um, which might actually pertain to a specific school, but you know we're we're not tracking it in that way. Um, so, total uh, expected spending um, throughout the year, um, we're expecting to use about 2.5 million in circuit breaker and revolving um, funds. Um, this is actually a typo. Uh, I have uh, our expected use of special education reserve account is going to be increased to $800,000, not $600,000. Um, and then we have grants that are projected at $1.7 million. Provided um, some breakdown around special education expenses, uh, you know, tuition and transportation for FY23 projected at uh, $8.3 million. Um, and for FY24, uh, just over nine million. That number might be actually a little light, um, to be honest. You know, with the 14% increase, um, and so we we are we are watching that. Um, you know, our our work through the budget process. Um, you know, that's a very large piece um, that we need to to take into consideration, and the special education reserve account um, will be important um, for us as we move forward to um, accommodate those additional expenses that are coming in. Which, which, to be clear, we still don't know, right? The percentage. Uh, I mean, I I believe I know, um, okay. but there's still some thought that it might be decreased. Uh, I mean, I I'm just operating under the assumption the 14% was approved, and that is what is going to move forward. Um, there is a potential that the governor um, does something different within the budget and provides some relief to that amount. Um, that doesn't mean that the percentage increase changes it just means that we might actually receive some additional funding um, to help offset it so I think the 14% numbers is is gonna stay um, we just there might be some relief coming um, to districts to help offset those that burden will they talk about potholes the pothole fund so to speak uh, yeah yes yeah. that is that's my understanding it's, it's just an um, odd name but there was also some you know yeah New tax revenue, right on the on the millionaires tax, um, and and how that might um, be at play. Was that money truly? Um, is it truly new money, or was it money that was already part of the original Chapter Seventy Formula? I, I'm not sure. Um, so I think there's a lot of discussion that will still come, um, and so we're hopeful that there will be relief. Uh, but even if there's relief, we still we the the number it, itself probably yeah. won't change. Understood. Thank you. Um, uh, Multiple special special education grants. Um, the largest one, uh, the IDEA 240 grant, um, will fund about nine hundred and fifteen thousand dollars of out of district tuition as well. Our circuit breaker um, uh, reimbursement um, from based on FY22 expenditures for FY23 is um, just over three point two million dollars. We've received two quarterly payments already. They come um, quarterly. And uh, of that amount, 558000 was uh, trans transportation reimbursement, which is a relatively new um, reimbursement through uh, the circuit breaker process. Uh, 
a lot here in terms of just the history of the special education reserve account um, back to FY18 um, when it was adopted by the town. Uh, there's been amounts up to $1.3 million. Again, we will um, likely use 800,000 of that this year and that brings um, that would bring the balance down to 410,000 um, and there is a potential for up to a million dollars um, to be asked for um, at the annual town meeting um, for that account uh, which would bring it back to 1.4 million dollars for next year Uh, the first attachment is um, is just kind of a, a snapshot of where we think um, we will land and, and how our actual spending, um, the budgeting offsets that I have explained, um, and our current projected surplus um, at the end of the year right now is a dollar. Um, uh, I likely will do my best to make that happen. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, the last few years we've returned, um, I, you know, 70 uh, to $150,000 back to the town. Any remaining funds in operating budget that are left at the end of the year um, are returned back to the town and, um, and go back to free cash. Um, so that uh, is my report I have provided the uh, breakdown of the line by line budget um, by fund by location and by category um, so you can see it in three different ways um, and I, I'm happy to answer any questions about that uh, or individual lines the FY24 um, private school tuition, is that reflective of the 14% or is that before the 14%? Nope, it is reflective of okay. the 14%. Okay. I just want to, that is, um, yes, that is. Okay. So I, I did have a quick question. All right, so just, if you could pull up the, your business finance area. Um, so right now, looks like you're in the hole $123,000. I am. Okay. Yeah, so um, the uh, Alpha Solutions contract, which is for the five-year capital plan, mm -hmm. um, five- and ten-year capital plan, it's the $88,000 contract, I believe, um, hit that line. Um, okay. And... What we have been trying to do the last couple of years, Michelle Gobi and I, is place expenditures in the lines where they belong, even though there isn't sufficient budget um, in those lines, so that at the end of the year, we can capture what the true spending okay. has been, so that we can redistribute the current budget across actual mm -hmm. um, history of spending. Mm -hmm. And that's why I said it, it's, it's going to take us a couple of years. Um, and now that we've adopted cost centers, it's even more important that we do that. Um, but so uh, Michelle spends time every single day reviewing expenditures, mm -hmm. where they were placed. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of times what happens is when a purchase order is created for an expense, um, whoever's creating that purchase order is just going back and saying, where did I charge it last year? Mm -hmm. And they just pick the okay. same account number and they charge it to that place. Mm -hmm. um, and oftentimes something has changed or it's, it's just not the best place. And so we're trying to reallocate those expenditures into the right place. And then at the end of the year, we'll make uh, corrections for our budget for next year. 
because I would say school fees, we're $12,000 in the hole, too. So, yes, not good. It, it's, uh, so, so, so this, again, I, I see negative numbers, but it's really, as you said, just to accurately get where the money is being spent. So at the end of the day, so when you do next year's budget, it'll be much more reflective of appropriate line items. Correct. Okay. It's going to take a little bit of time. It's not going to be perfect. We're going to continue to have negative line items, um, you know, probably for, for a few years. Um, mm -hmm. But it, it, is, it is my hope that we get to that level. And what that really does, too, is it allows the individuals that are responsible for these specific areas of the budget mm -hmm. to manage to that line okay. and right now we're not able to do that because their budgets are not reflective of actual spending mm -hmm. um, and how is it going with having I think principals managing build, building budgets right like how is that going so it's always been the case mm -hmm. that principals okay. have always um, managed uh, lines within mm -hmm. the budget mm -hmm. but to the point that I just made mm -hmm. um, when they exceed their entire budget on a line item uh, by November, um, then that requires them coming um, to ask for approval okay. to continue to spend on a specific line. Okay. Um, but I think it's going well. Uh, we've shared a good amount of information with principals. Um, I think they all have a, a pretty good understanding of the budget, mm -hmm. and it allows them to be better prepared in, in requests for budget lines okay. as well. Okay. And when I look at lines that say this is left to spend like a hundred bucks, that is actually a percentage. Oh, okay. Um, percentage. So okay. that's the percentage of the budget okay. that has been used. Okay. So if it's if you see one fifty nine on there, it's one hundred and fifty nine percent. Okay. Um, it doesn't. percent use. Okay. Uh, the way that the file, it doesn't okay. love the, um, the actual symbol. Yeah. Okay. I would just, um, I want to say that I think that this uh, level of careful detail and <coughs> transparency uh, is on the same level as the data, um, the district data dashboard in terms of its usefulness, in terms of uh, kind of helping to inform and evolve the way that we help manage the schools. So just, again, thank you for the time and extra efforts. Deeply appreciated. And I just want to highlight, too, in the packet is a list of the donations for the second quarter as well. Um, so I think it's it's helpful. I won't list all of them because there is some, but, um, you know, Waterfall, um, Music Counts, um, Cape, uh, Meditech. I mean, we, we have some, yeah. some fantastic um, individuals and uh, local kind of corporate sponsors, if, if you would, um, that donate often um, and, and really help add to the pot and the experiences of our kids. That's a great call out. All right, any other discussion? All right, hearing none, shall we take a vote of approval for the Q2 financial report? We hear a motion. So moved. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 It's an for me, 5-0. The financial Q2 financial report is approved. Thank you. I have a request. Yes. I was wondering if you would consider switching our agenda. I, I'm, I have a migraine. <laughs> I need to head out, but I really wanted to be here for our negotiations portion. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we will move item G. Uh, seven up past G six, and we'll we'll we'll, ha we'll handle that now. That's our negotiations update. Thank you very much. No problem. Um, Mr. Paul, would you like to begin? Sure. So at our last meeting, we we discussed with excitement coming to a tentative agreement, and a, a little bit more work has to happen. 
between the CTA and the school leadership team, uh, but we are so uh, so pleased uh, at this point on behalf of, of the school committee and uh, the administrative team and in collaboration with the CTA, we have ratified MOAs uh, that are ready for review by the school committee. Uh, it has been a long journey um, and as we've written back and forth to some folks, uh, we're so proud that we have really strong language uh, that serves our educators well, serves our students and community really well, uh, represents our good relationships and finding common ground through very difficult uh, and long negotiations, but it's worth it. It really is. And um, we appreciate the patience and support from the community. We appreciate our educators and their, the leaders of the CTA, uh, and of course the school committee and our administrative team and uh, all of our, our building principals and uh, students we were all in this uh, throughout this process, and we stayed committed to the students. Uh, we stayed committed to the process, and uh, what we have uh, before you are two MOAs that have been vetted very thoroughly. They've been ratified by the union, uh, and they are now before you for a vote. Right, that's terrific, and we were able to discuss the, the details of uh, the contract to be able to vote on the ratification um, earlier this evening just as a, a point of reference and one of the things that we talked about tonight is just providing some of the highlights of uh, what are in the contracts and so and, and this information will be provided um, in the communication forthcoming but uh, first one of the many highlights is that these contracts uh, will help allow teachers um, in our district and our educators to remain among the highest paid in comparable um, DESE districts, uh, DART districts, uh, in, as well as the Hockamock leagues. So we're proud of that. The, U, the new contract for Unit A lands us within the sustainable range that was planned for by our school leadership team and provides an 8% in base raise um, over three years with an increased top step um, for the most senior teachers who will receive 9.6% total increase over that period. Canton's most experienced teachers will earn up to $118,000 uh, in year three of the contract. <coughs> in raising unit ePay, the school leadership team uh, struck an equitable balance, offering a wage that will be competitive in comparable markets for our hourly ESPs, our educational support professionals, while ensuring the rates are fair and don't necessarily approach what a Canton can teacher might be paid, as the demands of the, the position are very different. Um, and with that said, we also were able to uh, strike a balance and within the sustainable limits of our school, town, and state allocated budget, our unit EESPs will, remain, will receive a minimum pay increase of approximately 22% over three years. Starting salaries will now be a minimum of $24.76 per hour. Um, and those with um, greater years of service by FY25 will earn uh, $29.57. $29 and then some in different positions, whether they're the ABA tutors, now starting at $29.71, uh, ending um, a bit higher uh, in future years. And then our uh, CODAs and our speech language, our certified occupational 
occupational therapy assistants and our speech language pathology assistants, our SLPAs, they'll begin at uh, 3927 and rise higher with their additional years of service. So we're, we're proud of all of that. Um, we were able to expand on the district's um, pre-existing generous benefits package, uh, now offering what would be considered some industry-leading benefits uh, that include 12 weeks of maternity and paternity leave for all new parents. Um, with that, that extend across both units without requiring medical documentation uh, to expand beyond the eight weeks. And we are offering <coughs> increased paid time off for family, illness, enhanced bereavement leave, paid religious and military leave, and access to a sick bank for Unit E, um, all of which they had not previously received, which brings... Um, huge benefit and something that the school leadership team uh, viewed the entire time as the right thing to do and also a terrific investment in helping retain talent and secure um, consistent supports um, and staffing levels in our schools. And then finally, we were all, uh, able to negotiate uh, an important change to a two decades old contract language provision um, that helps bring the current practice of use of personal days by units E closer to in line with the industry standard and specifically the team was able to end a, a provision that added um, that was added in 2008 that allowed for year over year rolling of personal days um, to be used as personal days in the future and so beginning in FY24 any um, unused personal day will now be moved into employees accumulated sick time for use in times of illness. So they'll still have those days, but they'll be used differently. So we're pretty proud of that um, improvement. And then finally, uh, we were very pleased that the CTA um, and our team agreed to form a committee to review data on educator um, absenteeism and use of those personal days to be able to develop recommendations if they are appropriate. Um, for improving attendance if that is warranted um, to consider for future contract negotiations. So really a huge amount of work and uh, something that we're all very, very proud of. And as I said, we'll provide more detail uh, in communications to come, but just want to thank everybody who's been involved in this very long process. Other questions or comments? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd love to share a little bit. This is something that's been very important to me is getting through these negotiations, and this has been very different from any negotiations experience I've been through in the past. This has been much more public. Um, but what I really wanted to share with people is I heard from so many people across Canton, people who just picked the phone to call me to express their support, who came up to me in the parking lot, and I know the teachers were hearing that too. And it's because Canton is so close-knit all of the people who live here do care and we were able to you know despite all of these external pressures we were able to come to an agreement that makes a difference in the lives of our children and i am so thankful to my teacher friends and all of the cantonians who reached out in support and i'm really glad we are where we are so thank you any other comments or questions all right, well, wonderful. Happy we're here. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Happy. Uh, thrilled to be in this place. I think it positions Canton very, very well for the future on all levels. So thanks and to I everybody. And I apologize with that. I am going to talk out. But before you do, she'll be vote to ratify. Oh, my goodness. Yes, I want to be part of that. How about I move to approve? <laughs>
Second. Okay, all in favor? Aye. aye. That's an aye from me. And so with a 5-0 vote, we are voting to ratify the collective bargaining agreements for Unit A and E. Thank you. Thank you, Candid. That's wonderful. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, fabulous. All right. Uh, we'll move on to the next item on the agenda, which, and I will sign these soon. Very soon. <laughs> <laughs> the vote does it, but I will sign them very soon. Okay. So the next item on the agenda is G6, moving back to our annual report. And uh, for this portion, <coughs> Uh, both Superintendent Folan and I will talk about some of the highlights that are contained with it. Sure, this is a, a submission from the school committee, and um, you'll see uh, both of our names on it, but really it was collective work and from the administrative team as well. Uh, it doesn't follow the school year, uh, which I always remind myself as I look at this and trying to remember some of the events that are happening. It's a calendar year, uh, and, it, and it's part of a historical document. Uh, to capture what has happened. Uh, so, you know, first, I, in, in writing some of the opening, um, I really just wanted to emphasize, which is really, really important for a successful school community, is that there is collaboration between staff, families, and all of the community, the school committee, and town officials, and um, Ms. Gallagher just mentioned it. You know, it's, it, there's close-knit, and then there's really strong collaboration. And, that is really true, and it, it, it shows itself in, in very different ways. And some of the accomplishments we had of the year wouldn't happen without all those multiple stakeholders uh, supporting our students and supporting our initiatives. So we just really want to say thank you and recognize that. And, that. and the other statement that uh, we put right at the beginning is we continue to place student learning at the center of our work and students in general. Um, just being their best selves, uh, allowing them to grow, be supported, uh, and achieve at the highest level and really seek at the, the path that is best for them and, and prepare themselves as they graduate to move on and do really whatever they want to do. Uh, so with all of that, that's the overarching elements. I think some really high-level stuff as we, as we think and look through it. It was a coming out of COVID phase, you know, right coming out of um, uh, February vacation, we were uh, able to uh, make masks optional um, and that that was that really big first step of getting to a level of normalcy. Uh, after that, we had the really good news of the MSBA, uh, in which we entered the eligibility phase, which we've worked through into uh, the feasibility phase now. And um, that's one of those ones where we saw incredible community support. Rep Galvin, Senator Timothy, really petition for this and support and have town officials. And then we saw a town meeting uh, vote for uh, $1.5 million for a feasibility study. Um, that expedited our process and really put us ahead of many other school districts that were uh, in this in this particular process with MSBA. Uh, that doesn't happen everywhere, and it didn't doesn't happen with such level of support and, and coordination. Uh, so that was a wonderful aspect. Um, we had a number of of hires, uh, in particular um, John Mulhern coming to the middle school and uh, Sandra Watson, who's profiled today in the in the Citizen, uh, going to JFK. Um, and Mr. Fogel as well. Uh, there's a number of other other folks uh, very appreciative of the opportunity to, to serve as superintendent and Sarah Shannon as an assistant superintendent during that time and at that particular time uh, interim director of student services Megan Byrne. So there's just a, a number of folks in important hires that were, were happening. Um, we also successfully negotiated uh, three AFSCME contracts 
Um, we had all five contracts going at the same time. Uh, so that was <laughs> a really incredible lift. There's great curricular work that's happening in the social studies and uh, world language department. And then sort of a, a, a really great element that happened. Um, we've had a lot of discussions about the importance of strategic <laughs> planning. Um, and we took our first <laughs> step into that in establishing really strong district goals that fell within pillars and that had really strong action steps. We've been reporting out on them uh, throughout the year. They've really driven our work. Um, and it, it was something that I thought brought the team together and brought a lot of focus there. Um, I'll use this moment to say there is a long-term strategic planning process. Uh, generally, school districts do three- and five-year <coughs> plans. We're embarking on that now. So we're going to take our February vacation, but you'll, the community will receive a letter from me that we're launching that strategic planning uh, process. We just met very early this morning to lay out the timeline. And a lot of the community involvement in the focus group and the, those discussions will happen through March. Uh, and then that team uh, that will have multiple representatives on it will work its way through uh, for April, May, and then we will be before you uh, in June as a strategic planning committee uh, to get that approved and then that will help uh, drive a whole bunch of things including goals, budgetary items, uh, focus areas um, with a long-term view on it. So we're really excited about and that was nice to be able to do today. It was coming out of negotiations to be able to sign, have a signed contract, ratified contract and to bring that closure right and then enjoy and celebrate the students as they finish out this particular year and then to engage in strategic planning uh, it's really really a great thing so a lot of that was started over the summer and then you we went into this particular school year which um, most would describe as as truly getting recalibrated uh, coming out of uh, the post-covid year uh, we saw a whole bunch of behaviors dysregulations getting used to being a student again um, there was just that element that we'll look back and, and say, you know, we thought the hybrid year was tough. The year after was most described by educators, administrators, parents even, um, and students, if you talk to them, probably the most, yes, Emma, yeah. the, the toughest year. So we have to remember those things and those aspects that were happening. So for this year to come back uh, to achieve some of those, those pieces. Um, but here we are, you know, we're, we're entering through. We're a district of over 3,000 students. Um, we have the idea uh, that we want to be uh, champions of excellence and, and looking to better ourselves in every which way. Uh, and this year's mantras were about elevating learning, which we had a real focus on professional learning and developing that professional culture. We have implementation of a new math curriculum uh, that's happening and a, and a real focus on um, high-quality instruction uh, in uh, high quality instruction, teaching and learning uh, and leading. So all of those have been really great threads that have, will be multi-year aspects to, to bring us to a higher level. You can see the impact of using data, but I, I see it here in the words uh, that I wrote. We never forget about the student and the joy and the fun, the different things that happen uh, and all the different activities that happen inside and outside the classrooms that um, I think students really value they understand the importance of their classroom time and they have a passion and love for, for being part of their schools and everything that happens out before that. Uh, so that's the re year review, I would say.
Fabulous. Thank you. And this annual report is definitely worth reading. I think it's 13 pages of highlights that include uh, all the colleges and universities that students were admitted to, all of the scholarships that are available in one, um, you know, many, many different um, awards and accolades that were earned by our teachers and our educators. So it's, it's definitely um, a piece that I even last year said I, we really should, I mean, of course it's included in the town annual report, but we should make sure that people are aware of, because it does take time and it, it does really summarize well uh, just what happened in the, in the year prior. It, in, and the um, last 10 years worth of annual reports are available on the cantonma.org website and school committee page. It does say annual reports, so you can get it there. And at the very close of the annual report, we talked um, specifically about some of the focus areas for the school committee last year. And of course, they're one and the same. Our goals are shared with our administration and our overall school team. Uh, so uh, number one, we, we did talk about uh, securing strong strategic leadership. We were in the midst of a transition and uh, just so proud to bring on and name permanently uh, Mr. Folan as our superintendent and Ms. Shannon as our assistant superintendent and on and on from there in terms of promotion uh, for Mr. Fogel and uh, naming Ms. Byrne as our interim director which I think is a, was a promotion been promoted again since and so forth so all of that was fantastic bringing on Ms. Joanne Campbell as our recording secretary was a big big deal so uh, we're, we're thankful for all of those changes we also played an active role in looking at identifying and then helping to support uh, the superintendent's recommendations for the retention of outside professional support with this district goal setting that was mentioned, along with human resources strategy and tactical support, the busing and transportation improvements that were necessary, and of course the equity audit that is ongoing and due um, a month or two from now. In uh, addition to that, we focused on enabling accountable district performance. This is the second year where we focused on that, um, and that is just creating that virtu virtuous cycle of goal setting, reporting, uh, measurement, evaluation, and doing it all again for the purposes of smart planning and uh, management. So we did that uh, in direct consultation with the Massachusetts Association of School Committees as well as DESE, our Department of um, Elementary and Secondary Education. Another thing we did is we worked to ensure continuous improvement in application uh, as, it may, as topics emerged, and there were so many of them um, <coughs> last year. So this involves every time you would have seen on an agenda us, us meeting for a workshop uh, so throughout the summer, school committees have met one to three times this year. In the last four in a row, we've, I think, met three times. But in addition to that, we've held other workshops to initiate action or do a key review of topics that mattered, like the math curriculum, our district calendar, the equity audit as it began, our superintendent's formative and summative evaluation process design, as well as the doing the deed itself. Uh, putting that evaluation document together, the strategic plan development, district goal setting, um, our own self-evaluation of ourselves and the creation of operation protocols, and then busing and transportation. So lots of deep dives, lots of learning, 
decisions and hopefully um, progress in all those areas. We also continued to make enhancements to the public meeting format. So that's the implementation of the consent agenda, which comes soon with an attempt to try to shorten our meetings and make them more um, uh, focused on business, uh, core business items for the school district. Um, we developed a regular volunteer spotlight to try to highlight our volunteer volunteer colleagues throughout the district, understanding we have a severe shortage all over the country, but definitely in town. Um, we implemented and will hope to continue to honor professional status um, of our teachers and educators or retirement of district professionals. Um, regular review of fall and spring stakeholder survey data. And um, making sure that data is comprehensive, uh, representing the voices of families, of staff, of students, et cetera. So that, again, it's just another tool to be able to help plan smartly and with the voices of everybody in mind. Uh, the fourth area of focus was on maintaining uh, our focus on financial transparency and planning. We heard some of the wonderful work of Mr. Marshall on that and really the work of our finance subcommittee to help assess past budget practice and improve processes and reporting formats with the goal of providing greater transparency around district financial decisions and then working to adopt the recommendation to have a comprehensive um, uh, long-term capital plan, which will be a first for the, or at least in recent history uh, for our district, whether that ends up being five, 10 years, I'm not sure, but it will be great to have plans in place for the money to then support or the, the asks for money to then support any strategic plans that we put in place. Uh, finally, we continued our comprehensive policy review. Uh, thanks to the team on that as well. So now we've been able to complete sections A, B, and C. As I mentioned, there were there are policies inside our manual that it's not quite clear if they have ever been reviewed. Um, but in some cases, uh, they're five, eight, years old and haven't been taken a look at. So the ability to be able to engage MASC in this and then have our team do a deep dive in every single policy as opposed to sort of a whack-a-mole or just as needed basis, I think really allows for that comprehensive, cohesive look and it brings us all up a level. So thanks to everybody involved with that. Uh, we're all familiar with the contract negotiations that happened across five units. And Together with our superintendent, we have identified these key initiatives for delivery in 2023. They include supporting the MSBA management design and funding for the Galvin Middle School, which will be ongoing all year. Finalizing these contract negotiations when I sign tonight with the Canton Teachers Association, Unit A and E. Uh, conducting our superintendent formative and summative reviews, which are anticipated um, in May the summative, we already did the formative in, in January, completing our equity audit, which is anticipated now in April, uh, conducting a routine legal counsel review. So this is the um, district attorneys who represent the schools, which we haven't done at least since 2014, something we've been talking about, but we certainly didn't want to do during negotiations. That's anticipated soon. Rolling out of that district strategic plan, um, in accompanying the uh, academic achievement, financial, operational targets, um, and um, any other components that are measured in part by our district data dashboard, uh, beginning and completing that capital plan, 
developing the district action goals, which are single year, and then continuing, hopefully, if the governor allows it, um, and legislature to offer improved hybrid school committee member slash panelist participation format. So that if someone wants to call in, um, they're able to do so, whether it's for public comment and or to serve on the committee because something else is happening. Because certainly life happens when you're all employed and raising families and have your health to balance. So there's all that. Um, and then finally, I wanted to say that uh, we are going to continue to work in all the ways that we have and coming up in April when we do our reorganization of the board, uh, the plans are in place right now to continue to serve on all of the committees that you see listed under item K on the agenda, which is our subcommittee task force and liaison post. There is not um, at this point, uh, there may be some change to the, the task forces, but there is not um, at this point any plan for um, being able to sort of reduce, you know, the number of those commitments as they are embedded into the school committee. And that's important to acknowledge because collaboration is really important, but it also is um, just one more area that we spend our time. All right. So that's essentially what is here. Are there any comments or questions from the school committee? Yes. Um, what a crazy year that had wonderful outcomes. <laughs> but um, most importantly, I just wanted to take a moment to express my gratitude because it was January of 22 when I got elected to my position and got to come to my first meeting. So I just wanted to say thank you for all your help and your support. And I'm so glad I've gotten the opportunity to meet all of you and begin to work with you. You've helped me in so many ways, and I am so thankful for that. So thank you. We're thankful oh. for you. Thank awesome. you for being here. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. Well, this uh, is something that we'll finalize, submit, and then will be available during the annual town meeting. And then I am fairly certain every year hard copies are available in the town hall. Not sure if we have them available at the schools, but we at the at the Rodman, but we do have them at the town hall. Right? Yep. Yes. Okay. One more thing I'm thinking is Superintendent Pullen, as you were going over it, this was probably our meeting a year ago voting about the masks being optional starting right after February vacation. So that's been a year. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. just. It was like my second meeting, so it had to have been. Right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Intense. What a year. Yeah, that was the very second What another year. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? What a crazy year with great outcomes? What a yeah. crazy year. Yeah. Wonderful. Incredible yeah. outcomes. I'm not going to tell you to, you know, write the headline, but <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just, her name spelling. I just want to acknowledge a, a moment of, of thanks um, to Ms. Moran, uh, who served as uh, our writer and editor for this as well. Um, that's a big lift and that, that's very helpful. And then Ms. Colleen Hutchison puts together a great deal of this um, as well. Um, I know there was input and eyes on it from, from everyone, uh, but also just members of the administrative team. Findings is from Mr. Marshall, Ms. Colby, right, and uh, Ms. Shannon, Ms. Rooney, Ms. Byrne. Um, you know, sometimes the principals had to jump in, Mr. Fogel. So, uh, this is a very representative document that had a lot of uh, eyes and pieces in it. We're just very grateful and we're happy to turn it over to the town. Let me share our. Thank you. Okay. Fabulous. So 
with that, we move on to the next item on our agenda, which is G8, our superintendent goals. Uh, Mr. Follin, will you share with us a quarterly check of the K through 12 math curriculum implementation process? And it looks like Ms. Rooney's going to Ms. Rooney be, will be helping with that or leading that as well. So yes. welcome. Thank you. Um, so I'm here with great news. I think uh, implementation is going really well. Um, uh, there's a lot of work that goes into implementing a new math curriculum K-12. So I wanted to first start by thanking all of our teachers who are doing the hard work of really getting to know this new program. Um, you've heard me say it a million times, there's no perfect packaged curriculum out there. So when you buy something new, you cross your fingers and hope that it's going to be the right thing. But the teachers really have to do the work of figuring out, you know, in a program like this with so many components, what are the pieces that are strong? What are the pieces that need a little adjustment? And, and how do we go about doing that work to make sure that we are meeting the needs of our students? Um, I also want to make sure I, I mention Sarah Donovan and the elementary math specialists. Um, when you think about at the elementary level, we have close to 80 teachers that teach math in our elementary schools. That's a lot of teachers. <laughs> um, but, but these, uh, the math specialists in Sarah meet weekly and they really are doing the work of unpacking the curriculum, trying to look ahead at units that are coming, do some troubleshooting so they can meet with grade level teams and really help teachers have a little advance notice of what's coming um, as they go about this work. Um, so thank you to Sarah and the, the math team. Um, part of implementation is about measuring student progress to see how effective the program is in helping student achievement. Um, and so we're in the process of doing that in a variety of different ways this year. Um, we're getting feedback from teachers, we're getting feedback from students, we're using unit assessments after tests and thing, quizzes that have come along with the program, and we're also using these new benchmark assessments, um, which you've heard about. Benchmark assessments are a little bit different. These are assessments in the program that are designed to measure how well students learned the concepts that we previously taught this year. So it really is based on the things that we've covered so far. But when we take a benchmark, we take them at the elementary level after, after um, unit four and then unit seven and then unit 10 and then again at the end of the year. So four checkpoints across the year. So we just finished or we'll be finishing hopefully this week. The second grade was the last grade to finish up. It really depends on where they hit that unit seven. Um, the benchmark assessments at the elementary level. Um, and that's been really helpful because it gives us an opportunity to look at, okay, so we taught these concepts back in the fall when the program was really brand new. How well are kids remembering those concepts? And, and, and if they haven't really learned it solidly yet, what can we do and what pieces can we pull in through the spiral review that can help us um, to reinforce that concept for students? So um, we're in the process of analyzing that data I will say with anything new, um, there's always like learning curves and we're learning that the uh, online components of on the McGraw-Hill website are a little challenging at times. And so um, we're really being cautious about, about interpreting the data at this time. I've given you a few snippets of the trends that we've seen across grades at the elementary level, but we've noticed that there's, um, there was a little box that the teachers needed to check if, in the in their settings if a student was absent on the day that they gave the benchmark assessment. And if they didn't check that box and then the student came back and they assigned the test to that student, the, the rest of the class's scores may have disappeared. And so they're retrievable. McGarhill can, can get it all back. 
But when Josh goes to pull the data, he says, how come only one kid in the class took the test? Oh, no, 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 that's not what was supposed to happen. So we're seeing some glitchy things like that with the technology. Miss um, Donovan is amazing. She has a, a list of all of them as she checks in with teachers and she's calling McGraw-Hill and you have to call and log a ticket every time there's a thing and then they figure out what's wrong and they fix it. And so following up on all of that. Um, so I say that just so you see that those are the types of things when you're implementing a new program that you have to work your way through. Um, and we'll get it fixed and it'll be okay and Mr. Fogel will do his amazing work of helping us analyze the data once we have all of it and can really feel confident that we've got everybody represented. Um, so what you see in the report is just kind of trends that we're noticing so far. Um, we will reassess at the elementary level again after Unit 10. And then there's a summative assessment at the end of the year that we'll be able to give. So um, really a good touch points for teachers to be able to see how effective was the curriculum in teaching what we thought we were going to teach. Um, and I also wanted to just mention a little bit about professional learning. Um, as you know, with 80 teachers at the elementary level, um, we were able to work with uh, Dr. Allison Mello. You may remember that name because we had her in the district a few years ago to teach a guided math course over the summer. Um, she's been teaching at the graduate level for a while now. She used to be the assistant superintendent in Foxborough. And she uh, left that position this year and is full-time consulting. Um, she was actually one of the reviewers who looked at Reveal when they were creating it. And so she seemed like a great person to call when we said, hey, we're looking for some support around professional development. Are you available? And so because we had a previous relationship with her, um, it's been wonderful to bring her on. She's really helping us to do some, I think, professional learning for teachers that help them just become better math teachers and then connect that learning to the program that we're trying to implement so teachers can be really thinking about what pieces are necessary and how do I make sure I include these things in my instruction across the course of the day. So she was just here last week for the early release day. Um, feedback from the teachers is it went, went really well. Um, they were able to make some uh, manipulative uh, beaded number lines so that they can use those tools in class with students. We did a lot of talking about how kids move from the concrete to the representational, to the abstract in their mathematical thinking. And if you do all of those levels well, then they come out of it ready to you know, do higher level math. Um, but we're really at that concrete phase at the elementary level oftentimes. And so thinking about creative ways to help kids have the types of experiences that they need to really understand how the numbers work um, so that they can move into higher order thinking. Um, Ms. Kennedy's doing a great job at the middle school, monitoring students' progress with IXL and Reveal. Um, we're, we're really pleased with the progress that we've seen so far at the middle school with the new program. Um, and at the high school, right now, the focus has a lot been on the new um, pre-calc course that's coming and helping the teachers to really kind of think about, okay, so if we have AP pre-calc, what does that mean for honors calc, pre-calc, and what does that mean for CP pre-calc, and really thinking about kind of the adjustments that they have to internally make to the courses so that we'll be ready to implement that curriculum uh, next year. And that is our update. Fantastic, thank you. Are there questions or comments from the school committee? Or anyone at this panel? Thank you, since we covered so much of this earlier, I think uh, yes. this, this is a, a nice summary, we appreciate it. Thank you very much for all your work to get us here. Okay, so next on the agenda, 
is H, public comment. We do not have anyone here that this evening, so we can move right on to I, Director of Finance, Director of Finance and Operations Report. Is there anything else to report, Mr. Marshall? Just a very quick transportation update. Um, had a check-in with our transportation consultant um, this morning. Uh, we expect a first draft of his report next week. Um, so we are on time, uh, on schedule for a March, early March, um, you know, final of, of his report. And um, I'll just note, although things, you know, I think in the public eye appear to be going uh, obviously much better than in the fall with transportation, um, we continue to meet regularly um, with first student. We had some challenges um, maybe earlier in the week or late last week um, uh, with some traffic issues. Um, first student was very responsive. Um, you know, in the morning, um, working with individual drivers, rerouting um, along Dedham Street um, to get to kids that, um, you know, they were not able to get to due to um, some road closures. So um, things have just been uh, progressing well, um, but we are also already um, well underway of, of timelining and planning um, for uh, rerouting. Um, you know, they have uh, a, a routing team that is in Montana that we've asked to take, you know, a, a all of our routes um, and just you know do a comprehensive look uh, so they're doing that now um, so that we can really be prepared um, going into the summer uh, much better prepared than than what we were um, you know looking back so uh, things continue to, to progress and, and, and move along uh, from a transportation standpoint thank you for continuing to have so many eyes on it question yes okay um, how's the van situation going from a transportation perspective? Um, I, it's much better. I mean, I, we're, we're, you know, everyone is routed. Um, I think timing has improved. Um, we've brought on um, a few different vendors probably than the last time that we talked about it um, in, in depth. It, it normally tends to to work it's the, the it works its way out yeah. um, vendors in the beginning of the year are um, trying to um, mix multiple different routes they're, they're bringing students from different districts um, and it takes them just some time um, you know to kind of get everything in order uh, and they're trying to, to do things in a cost savings way in the beginning of the year which tend to work its way out so um, you know, I, I think the van situation has, has truly worked its way out and um, and things are, are moving along. But our transportation consultant is also reviewing those um, those routes and um, and had reached out to all of our vendors. So uh, we're looking at that as well um, to just to see if our model works and um, that bid will be coming up um, soon yep. as well. So we need to be uh, to be ready and prepared for that. So the final report, we or you can expect it to be a comprehensive transportation report across the district, including the van. Correct. And, okay. And then my other question, follow up to your uh, comment on the team from Montana, which I think it's wonderful that they do that, but are they going to have people locally that are going to review those routes? They are. Um, so it's the, the general manager that I've been working with closely and our local routing person um, is working with uh, the, the team that's there. That They're really the experts of the software that, yeah. that's managing this. Um, so there's a lot more local input and then there's input now from myself and from um, from Brett McLeod. Um, okay. And we're, you know, we're bringing in just multiple different people from the town as well. That's, you know, I think if there was any learning, it was um, traffic patterns and um, uh, in older uh, New England in town um, with close proximity to um, you know 
major yeah. highways, but also to um, you know to the city, and uh, just many variables where just plugging something into the software uh, didn't spit out what we needed it to. Um, so there's a lot more manual type of work that that needs to happen. We also provided history of our prior routes, where in you know we had only provided. Uh, our, our last year's routes yeah. um, and we obviously had a change in our elementary school um, times mm -hmm. and um, and so that had a substantial impact especially looking at St. John's um, routes which were problematic um, a lot of that um, you know we now know was because of that prior year routing um, was just yeah. done differently so when we were able to pull history back from um, a few years ago uh, it helps us to um, you know, to, to look through it. So I I don't love that. I feel as if I'm a, a transportation expert now. I know some of these routes. I, I know every road in Canton um, <laughs> more so than I ever thought that I would. Um, but it, it truly has helped, um, you know, yeah. to, to add. Because um, to your point, somebody just sitting in front of a computer screen, um, you know, thousands of miles away, um, they might be an expert uh, but they yeah. don't have the information, um, right. you know, locally that uh, is important. Right. Yeah, so I think my comment was not to give to thank any of the team members that are working to help us yeah. in, in Montana or anywhere. Um, I'm all about the software being utilized as a tool. Yeah. But not only in this industry, in any industry, the software is just a tool and input, and we need to make sure that it's localized and make, that it works for us. So right. I, I, thank you. I think that you just answered all of my questions as it relates to lessons learned from last year. Right, wonderful. Can't wait to hear what the recommendations are that are forthcoming. But awesome and thanks. Appreciate it. Okay. Any other commentary or questions from the school committee on that item? Okay. Hearing none, we move on to Jay, our consent agenda. The consent agenda contains uh, regular session minutes from February 2nd and our ELA workshop February 2nd, uh, our executive session minutes from January 27th. And February February eighth, twenty twenty three, uh, scholarship approval for um, one from Cornerstone at Canton Assisted Living and Memory Care. Very generous scholarship for five hundred dollars. Uh, thank you to them. And the warrant dated February seventeenth, twenty twenty three. Is there any item that the school committee wishes to remove for discussion or further review? No. Okay. Hearing none. Ask for a vote of approval for the consent agenda as written. So moved. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Aye for me. Four zero. The consent agenda is approved as written. Moving on to item K, our update of subcommittee task force and liaison posts. We're going to start down uh, this end of the table and see if there are any updates. Super quick. Um, the Massachusetts Association of Student Representatives Legislative Committee has been working tirelessly on something very exciting. Um, Mazur recently worked with the state senators to officially file an act relative to student representative voting rights in both chambers of the state house. That this would amend the current Massachusetts law and allow student representatives to vote on certain matters um, that come before the school committee. Um, if you go on mass.gov, if you look, it's um. If you search Bill SD 759, it's there. Or if you have specific questions, I can refer you to the Director of Legislative Affairs. Thank you. That's all I have. Awesome. That's wonderful. And so over time, will you give us updates? Of course. We got fans? Yeah. yeah. Fabulous. 
Wonderful. All right. Any other updates? Mr. I Marshall? don't have anything. Finance will be meeting, I think, on the 28th. Next finance subcommittee. That's that all is I correct, have. yes. Yes. Yep, that's all I have. The school building uh, committee uh, met this week, and our next scheduled meeting with MSBA is going to be on March 6th. Uh, at that time, our OPM finalist will be reviewed in the contract, uh, reviewed and uh, up for a vote of approval from M MSBA. It'll be a big moment. We can only announce that um, once that happens, but that's coming up on March 6th. Okay, fabulous. Awesome. I have uh, a little bit of an update from the communications forum that I attended, which was awesome. Um, it was great to get to meet names, faces um, from all the different committees around town uh, who have been brought together by our new town administrator, uh, Charlie Duty. Apparently, years ago this was done but it hadn't been done in at least five so it was, it was wonderful to have folks together and sharing what were meant to be five minute updates on some of the priorities and um, asks and accomplishments of each of the committees over time i wanted to share a couple of quick notes of things that i um, learned and or were asked at that meeting so that everybody is aware uh, so first uh, all members of the school committee and any um, any committee in town are to read the open meeting law um, brochure or packet and sign the last page of it. It's required it needs to be returned to the town clerk. I'm not sure that the town clerk, um, something has fallen out of practice um, in terms of reaching out to school committee members, so we all need to do that. Soon. Is that uh, yearly? I'm just curious. That's uh, when you join the committee. When you join the committee. Oh, mm -hmm. okay. There are so other things we've learned. I've learned. We've learned right. over the years, yes. uh, and we have now become fully the compliant. Training. For yep. At least the four people here on this table. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so that's good. But the that piece of it um, needs know. to be asked for because we all received it. We all reviewed it. We've all been trained. But there's a page in the back that needs to okay. be returned back to um, our town clerk. Another thing that I learned is that Charlie has developed a brochure that extols the virtues of working in Canton, just in case anybody's doing any HR work. That might be an interesting piece to take a look at. Um, and then St. Gerard's is accepting ideas from everyone and wanted us to promote um, the fact that um, all town residents and everybody are invited to share ideas of what should be done for that site. Uh, the web address is town.canton.ma.us backslash S-G-R-C, St. Gerard's Reuse Committee. And someone actually just reached out to me from that to ask me specifically um, to participate in an interview about it. So that's, that's happening, and everybody's invited to participate. Um, CDEI, uh, representatives from there, uh, really wanted to make sure that people are invited and... Um, know that uh, attendance is really desired. The numbers have been low, very low, to all of their meetings, and they are not events, they're events, and um, they're really looking for other members to uh, 
of the community to show up and be part of these. And so as, as Ms. Gallagher mentioned earlier, the Black History Month event coming up at the community room at the library on February 28th, they're inviting everyone to attend and ask me to repeat, um, which I'm glad to and attend as well. Um, and then FinCom um, gave an update and mentioned that they are looking at addressing the inequities and in compensation for town officials uh, finally, I guess it's been brought up year after year after year, um, and they're going to be providing some recommendations to the town to take to town meeting, and they specifically highlighted the role of the school committee and whether or not there should be um, some compensation and make it equitable with some others and or remove compensation for all town boards. So that was a, an update that was um, interesting. The Board of Health wants the schools to increase coordination and communication about vaping. Highly interested in uh, <coughs> partnering in a more strong way on that topic. Okay. The Walk, Bike, Hike Trail will be doing a town-wide cleanup on April 1st, and it was very successful last year. 270 people engaged. They invite everyone to do that as well. The Master Planning Implementation Committee will have two vacancies coming up, so they'll be looking for folks to fill that. Um, for people at large, and you can learn more about that, cantonmasterplan.com. And actually, the year, next year, the year after we have our strategic plan, the town will be embarking on a brand new master plan again. So that's, that's a big job and a big role. Important one, the CCPC, uh, pre-application request short forms um, are now being solicited. I'm sorry mm -hmm. to steal any thunder. No, no. And and have been submitted by the schools for the ones that the schools have. Yeah, and actually, <laughs> um, Bob McCarthy did this in advance, but he he went through and listed all of the different ways. I think it was twenty years of a major multi mil, the major mil, million dollar ish projects or the major projects that the BRC Building Renovations Committee has been involved in, um, at least since his time. It was pretty impressive in terms of the historical context. And then he just shared it um, of his own volition. It went through the BRC and then um, to us. I was going to ask him for it because it was so interesting to see. So anyway, I'll, I'll make sure that the whole committee sees that again because that was, that was worth it, particularly considering the partnership that they'll continue to have with us um, for all of our schools and facilities, but also the GMS. So that is my main update was the communications form. It sounds like they might do it biannually and... Um, if there are opportunities for all of us to be there, I'll definitely make sure that that's a possibility. Do you want to share what's done? And the contracts are now signed. My update. <laughs> okay. Um, so policy we already talked about. Our next meeting is is early March. Um, CCPC, we're all set. Content and communications. Couple of things. First of all. Um, Aligning a couple different thoughts as far as uh, newspaper ads go, would it be the community, the committee's desire possibly to combine into a larger ad, several of the groups? I'm thinking, first of all, you were talking about the bu budget overage for us, so that might be one way to help a little bit with it, um, but also kind of a grander piece instead of a quarter page, quarter page, perhaps, sure. or bigger. Yes. I, I, I want to comment on the budget, budget overage, but I think that may have to do with MASC being part of our policy review committee, and then secondarily support on the negotiations communications. Just two guesses. 
what is the budget overage? It wasn't really an overage. It was a non. It was the non-school committee. Our budget. Oh, yeah. Line item. We were talking about items that we were going to put into the newspaper, and I'm like, why are we talking about? No. So Maureen made a comment about us being. It's like twelve thousand dollars, but they're they're items that we wouldn't have previously tracked. Yes. That are now being split across a couple of years. I'm thinking it's MASC as one of them. and then It is. MASC the is, is the, the main contributor to that. And then, you know, the cost of advertising has gone up. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a couple of little things that um, typically would hit that line. Yeah, and it may just be that we also have attracted previously, but those are brand new expenses. Yeah, because yeah. we never saw, before this budget, school committee never saw that we actually had money. There was no budget, there was no reference to us actually having any money to do anything. Yeah. So, I mean, we didn't, we didn't have this, but I think to know that we, there was a pot of money that school committee could have used, you know, you know we, we know we have it now. Self-improvement and so forth. Exactly. Yes. And also I know Ms. Shannon, I know, is looking into, and some others perhaps, um, some um, design assistance within the high school for that as well. So we'll yeah. see what comes of that. Um, separately on communications, I just want to remind everyone about voting coming up on April 4th. And in person, perhaps some early voting that may happen at town hall. And I believe there may be that mail-in ballots. I don't know if that's still being done at all. I don't, I don't know for sure. But anyway, April 4th. So happy that Ms. Arboleda is on Thank the ballot um, for re-election. And um, one of the things I wanted to ask you, too, is for the high school, for the students who are 18 years old, do they have access to um, the forms to be able to sign up to, to um, register, basically? Yeah, generally that's an effort out of one of the classes in social studies. Excellent. OK, yep. perfect. Yes, and thank you for being willing to step up and keep going. Um, we really are um, appreciative. It is a um, contested election, which is always good for democracy, but we are you know, just absolutely thrilled and so thankful for you to continue to be interested in serving on this committee, considering all that's involved. Yeah. Thank you very much. I, I just want to say I'm very proud of the work that we've been working on together, and I look forward to hopefully continuing the work and learning alongside you guys. And to be clear, Ms. Gallagher is not returning, and so we'll, we'll be wishing her well in a meeting upcoming, but um, that is the seat that, well, technically both seats are both open, seats, but yep. it is Ms. Uh, our, our incumbent is Ms. Arbolita. I do not have an update to add from the subcommittees. We talked about policy. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. All right. So the next item on the agenda is all other business. Are there any other topics not reasonably anticipated 48 hours in advance of this meeting? All right, hearing none. And ma'am, is future business. The next open session meeting is scheduled for Thursday, March 9th. Seems so far away. 2023. <laughs> <laughs> At 6 p.m. I'll miss you. But you um, happy school vacation to everybody. This meeting <laughs> is adjourned. Can I get a motion to do so? So moved. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. All right. Aye for me. Five, four, zero. This meeting is over. Thank you again.